Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're breaking the huddle. I knew Jax had the one-on-one. Good reminder from Shane in the headset. I say, hey, Jax, you're one-on-one. I'm throwing you this pill. Lock. End zone. It is caught. Touchdown, Seattle. Sure enough. Gave us a one-on-one look. Corner was soft. Jax hit him with some speed. Back pylon, back box throw. Came down with it. Alongside Alex and Tebow, and I'm BK. It's good to have Alex Ferrario back in the saddle with us today. That audio is courtesy of ESPN as Drew Locke puts together a performance of a lifetime. M-I-Z. No. Come no, on, I'm man. I'm not doing that. Come on, man. He's, not, he's out there anymore. Tommy DeVito is the better he, NFL He never won at Mizzou. Never won anything. That's not fair. His last team went 8-4 and four and could have gone 10-2 and two if they had Eli Drinkwitz there instead of Barry Odom, but that's a different All conversation. All I'm saying is if you want a different day. the MIZ chant, you got to do something at Mizzou. Seattle Seahawks, big win last night, 20-17 to 17 over the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to hit on this briefly because there's a bunch of Mizzou stuff that we got to get to here in just a moment, Ugh. but Drew Locke started the momentum for our Tigers, Alex, last night. Really nice performance by him. And really, it wasn't even about the first three and a half quarters of that game. It was the final drive. That last drive, five for 10, more than 90 yards through the air, all him throwing it to his wide receivers. He looked awesome. I remember those deep balls that he used to throw to Emmanuel Hall at Mizzou. I was watching that game last night. I was like, oh, that's the quarterback that I remember watching in Columbia. It finally showed up on a big stage. So credit to Drew Locke. It was an awesome moment for him, man. I have no idea if he's a legitimate starter. I got a lot of questions about that last night. I, I don't know. I would probably bet against it. I think his career is what he's been, which is a really nice backup quarterback who has immaculate vibes. Like the vibes last night for the Seattle Seahawks were fantastic. And when he gets in there, he's a YOLO thrower. He's like Jameis Winston or Ryan Fitzpatrick, where if he gets into the game, he is completely unafraid of the moment. That may lead to interceptions with pick sixes going the other direction, (laughs) or it could lead to a game-winning drive like you saw last night. That is what he is as a backup right now. I mean, and if there's any team that you can be uh, put it up in the air and just hope somebody comes down with it on your team, it's the Seattle Seahawks. When you've got DK Metcalf, when you've got Lockett, when you've got Smith and Jigba, like that's the type of team that you could say, ah, the hell with it. Let's just do it. Frankly, Jalen Hurts probably does it every once in a while with Philadelphia. If not, he probably should start trying after that loss to the Seattle Seahawks. But you felt good for Drew Locke last night in that one. I joke around, but look, it's cool. When he has success, we saw it. it was what the Broncos that he was with there for the longest time. Now that was just a disaster waiting to happen. So at least you got a better head coach right now, but that was cool for drew lock. I don't think there's anything that it goes with here, but out of all of the backup quarterbacks that we have seen, all of the crap we have watched Man. this season in the NFL, that was probably the most excitement I've had watching a backup quarterback play. Yeah. He looked like a competent quarterback last night. He never really looked like that in Denver. And I think part of it was the coaching situation. It was the weapons around him. Uh, he just wasn't in a good spot. And especially for a guy that is, as BK said, kind of the YOLO thrower and the Jameis Winston type. He looked like a guy that if you gave him like 
one-year, two-year deal, he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL again. I don't know if he will or not. I think he's probably best destined to be a backup, but could he become that transition guy? Can he take on the role of what Ryan Fitzpatrick was for so many organizations, which was, hey, let's bring him in and start him for two years. We're going to suck, but at least he's going to be competent, and we'll get our franchise quarterback eventually to kind of replace him. Guys like him. Yeah, like I, I think he could be that, and, and that's a that's a cool story for Mizzou, for a guy that – Kind of felt like a first-round bust. Now he's kind of slide, slid back into the backup role. And again, looks like a competent quarterback. And honestly, it just fits in the Mizzou mold where they develop backup quarterbacks. All right, chill out with that. Uh, from the 620. Guys, I have yeah. no real connection to him, but his honest emotion after the game was pretty awesome. Let's get that real quick. His emotion after the game, they're showing it right now on the Pat McAfee show as well on ESPN, the, where our TVs are in the studio right now. He was amazing. And the way that he was able to describe going through what his emotions were going into the game, what it was like to work with Geno Smith during the game, prior to the game, it was great. Here's Drew Locke after the game last night with Lisa Salters on ESPN. Again, Drew, we can see the emotion on your face. We can hear it in your voice. Can you can you just describe what you're feeling in your heart right now? Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard to describe the feeling of, you know, not playing for so long or at least what feels like a really long time to me. And then you sit there, you watch games, you wonder, can I do this still? I haven't been out there on the field. That's the human nature of it. You get back out there last week, I'm like, you know what? I'm the man, so I can go do this. And then you got another test this week where I didn't know if I was going to play or not. Sure enough, ended up playing. We're playing the Eagles tonight. And the, the boys around me rallied tonight. And it just, gosh, it feels so good. Feels so good. I'm so proud of everybody tonight. He missed his opportunity when he said, "I'm the man." He should have said, "I'm the man. Come after me. I'm 40." Or how old though. he is? How old is he? Yeah, like almost 30. Come after me. I'm almost 30. Drew Lock, great night last night. Good morning today. Good morning for Eli Drinkwitz. Oh. The boys are back, baby, and it's college football playoff or bust. That's what it is for Mizzou in 2024. Mizzou has added this morning, Caden Green, a former four-star offensive lineman who transferred from Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner is not going to be thrilled with the Tigers. Mizzou stripped away Luther Burden. He was supposed to go to Oklahoma. Uh-uh, nope, he's coming to Mizzou. Mizzou took Williams Winery, five-star defensive lineman out of Kansas City this year. Supposed to go to Oklahoma? Uh-uh, he's coming to Mizzou as well. Caden Green, their starting left guard from last year. He was happy. Everybody thought he was going to stick around at Oklahoma for four years, maybe three years because he's a pro. He's an NFL offensive lineman. Go to the NFL? Nuh-uh. He's coming to Mizzou to play along with his boys as well. So all of them are there. Theo Weiss sounds like he's probably going to be coming back next year. M-I-Z, good morning for them. And then, and then, Alex, the number one player in the state of Arkansas who was previously committed to the University of Arkansas is a four-star wide receiver by the name of Courtney Crutchfield. Mazoon in need, obviously, of another big-time weapon for Drew Locke says, you know what, we'll go ahead and snatch him up as well. He committed to the Tigers about an hour ago. Said Drew Locke. Yeah. Did I? Brady Shoot, Cook. Buddy. Brady Cook. That's Come on, man. I mean, I too many, big I too many backup quarterbacks in your mind right yeah. now. Big I know job. he said he could be a starting quarterback. I meant in the NFL. So the news today, Caden Green, offensive lineman from Oklahoma, the transfer has committed to Mizzou, and four-star wide receiver Courtney Crutchfield from Arkansas is committed to Mizzou as well. Yeah. Alex, I'm telling you, I, I genuinely believe the expectations for Mizzou going into 2024 should be making the 12-team college football playoff. That is where we start, and then every discussion about them 
continues from there. I mean, for how much money they're throwing out there that we do or do not know, I think the goal should be winning the college football playoffs because it seems like they're did did Drink wake up and throw a dart at a at like a picture of the United States and it landed on Arkansas and Oklahoma and he said, "Cool, I'm going to ruin their Christmases." Because like you're ripping all of these committed players from both of these universities. But yeah, I mean, look, when you when you tight when you make the area that you were good at this season better, meaning offense, you brought in another wide receiver, you bring in an incredible offensive lineman to help out this offensive line, and then you tighten up your defense for guys that you might be losing this season. I don't know what else you should be expecting from this team. Drink showed his ability to delegate and hand over the yep. offensive coordinator duties to his coach. He's keeping the coaching staff in place. You're bringing all of these players in on top of the returning players. Yeah, they should be viewed as one of the best teams for college football next season, at least in the SEC. Yeah, they definitely in the country. Yeah, no Pac-12 is pretty big. Big Ten's pretty dangerous. I've heard that loaded Pac-2. Pac-12 that Oregon. Up. That Oregon team. Um, Oregon State and Washington State. You got to watch out quack, for them. Quack, quack, quack. They are definitely in the conversation of college football playoff or bust because you don't make these kind of moves and spend this kind of money if you're Missouri if you're not shooting for the college football playoff. If you're just going for a 8-9 win season, you know what? Maybe we luck ourselves into 10 wins and can climb into the playoff picture. You're not, you wouldn't be throwing around this kind of money. And keeping the staff together, recruiting like they have, and now getting guys into the transfer portal, getting guys from the transfer portal, absolutely it is college football player for us. We are no longer judging the Missouri Tigers by the wins this season. It's no longer like, oh, eight wins, that'd be cute and fun and all that. No, no. It is, are you going to be in the big dance? If not, the season will be a failure. By the way, there was some buzz yesterday about the possibility of whether or not we could see Kirby Moore jump to Notre Dame to be the new offensive coordinator there. The offensive coordinator at Notre Dame took the job at Troy, so they have an open vacancy there for their OC gig. I wouldn't take that job if I'm him. I would stay at Mizzou. And I know this sounds crazy because, like, uh, Homer. No, uh, theoretically speaking, Notre Dame's a better job than Mizzou. Yeah, and but if you're like, going to be at either place long term, you would rather be at Notre Dame. And I say that as a Mizzou guy. Yeah, but which offense you want to coach more? For Notre next Dame. year. For next year specifically, next year, where would you rather be? Notre Dame or Mizzou? I would rather be at Mizzou, and I'm not kidding. Go to Notre Dame in two years. Go to somewhere to be a head coach in two years. That's what you're hoping for. You need this to be your platform gig. If you perform well again next year as Kirby Moore in this offense, you're getting a head coaching job somewhere. Probably wherever you want it to be. Probably Mizzou. (laughs) So if that ends up being the case, you just stick around for one more year, get yourself a nice pay bump this offseason, and then in 2025, you become the head coach somewhere else. So I, I don't have a huge fear of that. We'll see. Maybe his... Uh, sensibilities are different than mine. And he says, you know what? It's, it's Notre Dame. Like, they're going to pay me $2 million to go be the OC. I'm, I'm going to go take Man, that. What a gig. Fair enough. But I think that Mizzou is a really great offensive coordinator job right now. And I don't think he's going to leave. But even if he did, Mizzou could attract one hell of an OC if that ended up being the case and they needed to go out there and attract somebody else. So Mizzou's in a really good spot right now. I have never seen this kind of momentum when it comes to their recruiting. They're getting dudes left and right. They're picking from the portal. They're picking from the uh, high school level recruits who they want. This running back commit that they got from Texas, Alex, Ole Miss wanted him bad. Their coaches thought he was the number one running back in the country. He's drawn comparisons to Alvin Kamara. 
Uh, this wide receiver that they got, some people believe Courtney Crutchfield better than Ryan Wingo. No one for one, better player Courtney Crutchfield versus Ryan Wingo. Sound yeah. like that don't come out of Arkansas. Ryan Wingo doesn't matter Kaden anymore. Caden Green was the number one rated offensive lineman in the transfer portal. So they're going out there getting some legit players right now. And for 2024, top 12. I'm just glad they got an offensive lineman. I mean, every game I felt like this season was like, is the Their offense, line was good. It felt like it wasn't going to be this season, though. It, yeah, coming into the year, it was a real question mark. But, but they got a new coach there, and the O-line really came together in a significant way. But they're losing their left tackle. He's going to the NFL, so they had to replace him. And they go out there and get the best left tackle possible by bringing Caden Green back home. So you're in a good spot if you're the University of Missouri. What's Illinois up to? Uh, we were interested in a three-star quarterback. Uh, we're building for the famous Idaho Potato Bowl next year. You know, high expectations for Brett Bielman. Real like question, four. do you get to go home with a bag of Idaho potatoes if you play in that bowl game? Why not? Should. I mean, if you win the Pop-Tart Bowl, you should get oh, yeah. life, life supply. Yes. A life-size Pop-Tart? Wait. That's way too big of a damn Pop-Tart, man. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues one. insider <laughs> for The Athletic. But Oreo. next... Ooh. Is it time for the Cardinals to pick their starting nine and run with it? I tend to push back on that notion, but there is one scenario where I do think it makes a lot of sense. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, this year it's really going to come down to giving him some opportunities. And obviously with Wilson Contreras, that's going to be a challenge for Ollie and the, and the coaching staff. But I do think it's a way to get him in games, maybe have Wilson DH from time to time. But we're certainly going to have to get him some at-bats because at his age, he's still developing and still growing. And we got to make sure he gets some playing time. That was John Mosellock on the Cardinals Insider Show on Cardinals.com the other day. Alongside Alex and Tebow, and I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford, uh, Blues Insider for The Athletic. Alex, that's an interesting situation for Ollie Marmel heading into next season. I feel like we've got at least one of these every year where it's like, hey, we've got this young guy. If he's going to be up here, he needs to play. And this time it's a catcher. For the Cardinals, that's a big deal because their starting catcher is Wilson Contreras. And when he's not catching, you need him to continue being in your lineup because his bat plays. And so when he's not in the lineup at catcher, he's going to be in the lineup at DH. Well, if he's in a DH, that means one of... Uh, Gorman or Donovan is not at the DH spot. Well, you've got other days where it's going to be Arenado and Goldie, probably once a week for each of them. You're probably going to get one day a week next year where Jordan Walker is going to be at DH. There's not a lot of spots left at DH for Nolan Gorman, for example. And the reason why I find this to be really interesting is because as you look at what the rest of the offseason is going to be, Alex, and you think about, okay, do they need to pick a starting nine and run with it? I have pushed back against that notion all season. I think that it's okay to have somebody like a Brendan Donovan that's just a super utility player. But if you're going to have one out of every three games, Yvonne Herrera behind the plate, at a minimum, maybe more than that, it is going to soak up those at-bats at DH from Wilson Contreras. And I do think that makes it more important, more urgent 
that you decide who your guys are in your starting nine and you run with them for the remainder of the season. A lot of this hinges on what is your belief in Mason Wynn being a starting shortstop from opening day until the end of the season. If you believe in that, you can make these decisions. If you don't, it probably changes things a little bit for you. But Alex, as you look at that decision with Yvonne Herrera, how in your mind would it play into whether or not you're trying to look at, okay, we need to make a decision at second base specifically because that is the place that I think you can target. I mean, I think you do have to make a decision at second base solely for the Herrera side of it, but also trying to figure out what's the best way for you to go about with Donovan and Gorman in terms of your defense and getting them consistent at bats. To be honest with you, I don't really care as much about Yvonne Herrera. Like, I understand you got to get him at bats. He's here. You got to make sure he's he's able to play and just sprinkle him, in, him in every once in a while. But you're a backup catcher. And Wilson Contreras is the starting catcher. And so Wilson Contreras is going to get a bulk of the work right now. So many fans were upset last season because you were using too many guys in too many scenarios. Frankly, if I've got a starting nine, DH is going to be one of those spots that I can look at as a rotator. But to be honest with you, my DH might be best if it's one of Donovan or Gorman on a consistent basis. And Yvonne Herrera is just that backup catcher for me. He's going to get his starts. You're going to have injuries that happen with Wilson Contreras. Frankly, he's going to go through cold streaks. But I'm not worried about Yvonne Herrera getting a good split of work this season because he's my backup catcher. This is your first taste of a full season in the major leagues. You'll figure it out as you go, and you should figure it out as you go. But even if he gets one out of every three, that's twice a week that he's starting for you. Okay, now let's fill in these games. Six games in a week, two times out of those, you're having Wilson Contreras at DH because you're going to start Yvonne Herrera. And that's just like a typical workload for a catcher in Major League Baseball nowadays is two out of every three. So two days, you've got Wilson Contreras at DH. One day, you've got uh, Paul Goldschmidt. One day, you've got Nolan Arenado. One day, you've got probably Jordan Walker. Okay, we're at five days now out of the six where you've got somebody that is in that DH spot that we're not talking about Nolan Gorman or... um, What's Brendan Donovan? Brendan Donovan. Well, Donovan that's be might be that. playing some of the outfield spots too, though. Donovan. But I've only got one day there that I've got Donovan. That first base day, I would assume that's probably going to be Alec Burleson who's there. That outfield day is probably going to be Carlson. Honestly, or, I, I think it probably will be Carlson. Or it's Donovan, and you're moving Newt Bar to center field, and Tommy Edmond is just sitting. I think Carlson is going to be that because it was interesting. John Mozeliak had a, had a comment on KMOX over the weekend where he said the reason why we wanted to trade Tyler O'Neill instead of Dylan Carlson is because they view Dylan Carlson as the immediate backup at every outfield position right now. So if they view it that way, because he can play center, they're probably going to have him as the guy that ends up playing there. So you could end up seeing when though, when one of those outfielders is out, Carlson goes to center field. They uh, put probably Tommy Edmond down at second base and then move either Donovan or Gorman over to third. I just don't know that there's going to be enough at-bats to go around again. Now, this is all assuming no injuries, and we all know injuries happen. That's a part of the game. But they've also got some depth now in the middle infield down in AAA as well, where they traded for Thomas Ajaysi, who is not that far away from the big league. So as I go through all of this, it makes me more and more likely to trade one of those two guys. And I don't want to give up that left-handed power, that thump. And if you can't get a legit stud in the pitching side of things, then don't do this just to make a move. Like you're not trading Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan for Edward Cabrera. That's not what we're talking about here. But 
if it is true that Framber Valdez is available, that's the kind of move that you target with one of those two guys. If it is true that Dylan Cease is like legitimately available this offseason, go make that move. If you could target one of the top-end starters, Jesus Luzardo or George Kirby or Logan Gilbert, go get one of those two types of guys. That's what the Cardinals' rest of the offseason should be centered around. And then right now, go get, you know, a middle relief type of a pitcher. But other than that, that's what you should be aiming for right now is a let's reach for one of those top-end starters that we can get via the trade market. Yeah, and I agree. Don't pull off a move just to make a move. I, I would be trying to shop probably Brendan Donovan would be who I would be personally shopping of that tandem between him and Gorman. But I don't know if you can get a top-end arm for him. And if you can't, then you don't just sell him. Then you start to maybe explore what it would be like to trade Nolan Gorman because the more that we run through this scenario and the more I thought about this last night, it's hard to envision where you're getting those at-bats for Donovan or Gorman because of Carlson being the fourth outfielder, because Burleson will probably play first base and maybe some games at DH as well potentially, and all those guys that you just mentioned. And the Herrera thing, I know like a lot of people would say what Alex was saying, he's the backup catcher. He shouldn't be getting a lot of reps. Guys, I think they want him to be the starting catcher next season while Contreras is under contract. 2025, you're saying? Yeah, Yeah. I, I I think they believe that Herrera can take that job from him because I think he's better defensively and as you saw his back can potentially play here at the big league level and if that's the case then you got to figure out what you're going to do with Wilson Contreras because he's not a catcher he's not good defensively so they may be trying to explore using him as the everyday DH in 2025 and hope that 2024 is kind of that learning year for Herrera and he starts 50 percent of games so I think they may need to come to the conclusion and I, I don't necessarily totally agree with this that you need to have a set starting nine but they saw what happened last year when they had too many log jams. Yep. And right now, I don't know how they're getting at-bats for Donovan and Gorman. And and I know they tried last year. Ollie said, like, oh, well, we can balance this out. It didn't work last year. So I think they may try exploring the trade market. But I just don't know what, though. I don't know if they want to part with Gorman. And I don't know if they can get the ace that they're looking for for Donovan. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. This one comes from the 870. Guys, this is why you have to trade Tommy Edmond because no, uh, not enough people are talking about it. We need a legitimate center field. That's what this team needs in a bad way. The team needs a legitimate center fielder. Tommy Edmond is that. Now, you can debate whether or not he's got a good enough arm to be it. I think he does. I think we saw last year... The second half of the season, Tommy Edmond was very clearly your best defensive center fielder. Now, in my opinion, he still leaves a little bit to be desired on the offensive side of things, but he's fine. Like, he's a more than capable offensive player. He can lead off for you against left-handed pitchers, and he can bat ninth for you and add that speed at the bottom of your lineup against righties. There's nothing wrong with that, or eighth, I guess, when you've got Mason Wynn in there. And also can play both infield positions if you need him to, if injuries pop up and put somebody else in center field. But even... Even if you just have him as your designated center fielder for the entirety of the season, he's good enough to be that, guys. Like, we've just, we think about him as a second baseman or a shortstop because that's what he's played. If we had never seen Tommy Edmond play in the major leagues before, and last year he was in the situation that Richie Palacio was, and he just comes in and he goes out there and he plays in center field, we'd be like, holy crap, this guy is excellent defensively in center field. But we think about him, and on the back of his baseball reference page, it shows shortstop slash second baseman. And so we're like, oh, well, you're playing an infielder in the outfield. No, you're not. You're playing a guy that looks excellent in center field in what appears to be his most natural position on what his his prowess is out there right now. So I'm not worried about that at all. I just want to get their best players on the field. And I don't care where that is. Wherever their best position is, the best way to get the best players on the field the most often, that should be the goal for 2024. And I think the best way to get the most out of your assets right now I, it's taken me a while to get here. 
because I've pushed back, I've pushed back, I've pushed back. I can't push back anymore, especially based on what they've done. Context of the offseason is important here. They decided to sign Lynn and Gibson, which changed the way we have to view all the rest of this stuff. Um, and then Glass now went to the Dodgers. So now that option's not available to you either. I think that the next logical thing for this team to do is to trade one of their second basemen for a top-end starting pitcher. And that may mean, to your point, uh, I don't remember which one of you said it, on Donovan not getting you that top-end guy. It may mean packaging Donovan with more to be able to go get that. Maybe that means Donovan plus Tinkens to go get one of those top-end starting pitchers. That's a lot, guys. But guess what? That's what it's going to take. You are going to have to give up a ton in order to get these guys because everybody wants them. Everybody wants to go out there and get somebody that can start a game one or a game two in a playoff. And that's personally why I, I would lean more towards the Nolan Gorman side of this for a trade because you're you might not need to package him because you could get the best just for Nolan Gorman and sprinkle a couple of other pieces in. But I'm also looking at how versatile Brennan Donovan has been for you and how impactful he's been when he's been in the lineup versus when he's not in the lineup. And there's. I take that into consideration also for this Cardinals team. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Jeremy Rutherford joins us to discuss his piece on what has changed. What are the biggest things that we've seen under new Blues interim head coach Drew Bannister? We'll talk to JR about that next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. shameful is what that update was alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. I forgot to mention Illinois got a Juco recruit Mizzou adding the number one offensive lineman transfer in the portal Caden Green coming back home a Kansas City kid gonna come back home after spending one year starting seven games for the Oklahoma Sooners a massive get for Eli Drinkwitz then earlier this morning they also added four-star wide receiver commit Courtney Crutchfield to the mix as well the Tigers are on a roll right now and it's looking like college football playoff or bust in 2024 with that is the backdrop, and we needed to make sure that we mentioned that because it is the biggest news of the you day. You are one pathetic loser. Even though Very you true. didn't hear it in our Sports Center update, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider for the Athletic. Jer, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Yeah, good. Anytime. Hey, did Tanner just hit the uh, "you're a pathetic loser" sounder about himself? Oh. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Great. Okay. Oh, he nailed it. No, nailed no. it, JR. JR, hey, JR the Blues BK. are good again, huh? Yeah, two two uh two big wins here and uh, going for a third here in Tampa Bay. So all is right. Uh get your playoff tickets and uh <laughs> 
That's what BK really wanted to ask. So yeah, they're winning yeah, yeah. the Stanley Cup this year. So let, let's break this down a little bit, Jay. You had a really good piece over at The Athletic. People should go read it in its entirety over there. They can follow you on Twitter to find it at JP Rutherford. What's changed in your mind since the firing of Craig Berube and the, the start of, under interim head coach Drew Bannister? Yeah, you know, I think uh, a couple things, and, and I mentioned five of them in my piece, uh, but these are, you know, admittedly kind of uh, generic topics that we've been discussing all season long. You know, I think big picture with Drew Bannister coming in, what we're seeing, generally speaking, is uh, just players getting after it, playing on their toes, I think paying more attention to detail. We see that happen with coaching changes all the time, and I think we do need to wait a few weeks before we make any judgments or evaluations on really what's changed. You know, Drew Bannister told us the other day, that even when he was flying here from Springfield, his message to the team was going to be, I'm not going to blow anything up, and I'm going to take my time to make some changes and tinker with some things. So, you know, we've seen some better play in the neutral zone like we did against uh, Dallas. Again, you know, we don't know the exact tweaks there, so is it more players kind of playing uh, with an extra kick in their step? I think that's the case. But I will say this, uh, with a a specific situation like Jordan Cairo, uh, Drew Bannister said, that after the Ottawa game, before the Dallas game, he looked at some clips with Jordan Kyrie and he said, look, you've got tremendous outside speed, as we all know here in St. Louis. Let's see you use it. Let's, let's, let's see it. And what did we see later that night against Dallas? Jordan Kyrie used that speed to go to the outside, drive, and set up that overtime goal by Colton Preco. So when you listen to guys like Joel Hofer, one of the 11 Springfield players who have played for Drew Bannister in the past, the number one thing they say is, even when you win games, he's always looking for ways to get better. I think that was the case with that situation with Cairo. So, Jr., we, we know what Drew Bannister wants to accomplish. We heard him say it to the media. We heard him say it to the fast lane. Like, he wants to get this team back into a winning mindset. But if you're Doug Armstrong, is the the main focus that you're wanting to see with Drew Bannister is if he can get the best out of Cairo and Thomas? Yeah, I think so, just because of contract situations, you know, eight years for those guys, and also they are your two top guys, right, moving forward. I think everybody realizes that. But, I mean, you could get a lot out of Cairo and Thomas and, and be happy with their production, and, you know, it's just not working in other areas of the team, and, and you're not getting wins, and you just don't see, you know, the team uh, growing. It, you know, we're talking a month, two months from now. So I do think that's number one. Uh, obviously, it's important because of the, the factors that I mentioned. Uh, but, you know, Drew has a lot on his plate right now. This is the first time he's coached in the NHL. Uh, he's had a lot of success uh, in the American Hockey League. They went to the Calder Cup Finals just a couple years ago, uh, and I think he's got the respect of this room. I went up to Braden Chen a couple days ago, and I said, Braden, you know, how do you see a young first-time NHL coach coming in? Like, how does he uh, galvanize not just the young guys who've played for him before, but the veterans, too? And he said, look, he's put his time in. We respect him. It's up to us to preach that message to the rest of the group. JR. Right now, Robert Thomas is on pace for 33 goals, 87 points, and a plus 30 while on the ice at 5-on-5. Those are numbers unlike anything we've seen uh, from the Blues in recent years, especially that plus-minus for a guy scoring that many goals. Are we seeing him flourish into a legitimate number one centerman this year? Yeah, I think so, too, and and the face-off number is a huge number. Like, I remember when he first came in that first year, what was he, 40-41, and and now he's up plus uh, 50%, you know, uh, 54. So I, I think that that's the number that I want to look at because if you're going to be that top guy and you're going to be out there in those important situations, you got to get the possession first before you can do the other stuff. But, but you know, 
gosh, for three or four years we were talking about, you know, okay, will this guy shoot ever? And, and now he's shooting. And, you know, I think even Craig Berube gave credit to the work that Thomas did in the offseason with uh, Adam Oates. And there's some coaches who, you know, didn't like the fact that their guys were working with an outside guy like an Adam Oates. But, uh, you know, Craig Berube, give him credit. He, he saw what uh, transpired with Robert in the offseason and liked it. So I do think he's taking it to that next level. And, and to me, again, uh, whenever you're talking about, that top number one center, it's can you defend the other team's top players? Check mark. You know, can you win faceoffs? Check mark. You know, can you shoot the puck and score so you're not just a one dimensional player? I think we're seeing all that stuff from Robert Thomas. So, JR, I. I think all of us are kind of on the same page. Like, yeah, they look like a different team, but it is that, that new coach bump that teams get. You've seen plenty of this in the past of new coaches taking over and the Blues going on a run. Let's take out the eighteen nineteen season just for for uh, purposes of Why this conference because I don't think they're winning the Stanley Cup here, Brandon. Damn. But when, when when does that honeymoon phase go away for teams? Jr. said, "Brandon, that was well. Good drop in there, Jr." <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out here in in January. I do because this schedule is going to get difficult. You guys can look ahead at that and, and see. The number of quality playoff teams, uh, above have. 500 teams. Yeah, you guys already have. And, and so I think, you know, I just don't think you can make any evaluations after two weeks. And, and, and I think that uh, because of the schedule and because of how difficult it is, if you continue to see this team do the right things, and, and that's what we should uh, warn everybody, be careful of, is you know, I don't know that if you're Doug Armstrong or even fans that you're going to judge how things are going based on wins and losses because you can play really well against you know Philadelphia Rangers. We, you've already seen Vegas. Uh, we you know good game against Dallas the other night. Say you're losing some of these games four to three, three to two, what have you. But if you see the effort every single night and you see these young players developing. You know, even if this season does not end with a postseason round, I think that uh, Doug Armstrong is going to be pleased with how things have changed. Jr., do you think there's a real chance that Drew Bannister is the long-term coach here in St. Louis, or do you think they're looking for somebody more established? Uh, a little bit early, but I do think there's a chance. Uh, I think he's a candidate, and I think as we saw in 2018-19, you know, I can remember back, and, and I don't know that anybody was giving Craig Bruby a, a chance, but we do have to keep in mind, that the two different rosters. I mean, that was a Stanley Cup roster waiting to win. This is not. So I think uh, Drew Bannister doesn't have the exact same cards that Craig Bruby did. But I'll say this. You know, there's a lot of things going in his favor. First of all, you got the 11 guys from Springfield who uh, swear by him. Uh, they have trust in him. He has trust in them. And he knows their game. He knows what they can do. And, and I think, too, that if you're the Blues in this retool, guys, Brandon, if, uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're looking at the situation like you want these young players to grow, and we're not talking about just the guys here, but the Snuggeroos, the Dvorskys, all those guys, to me, I'm looking for a young up and coming coach who's got a reputation of grooming these young players, as opposed to a uh, you know an older guy who's a recycled guy and he's bouncing around and he wants to win now to save his job. That, that's what I'm looking for if I'm Doug Armstrong. How much of that Jr. plays into though? seeing the next step from this roster because it's very evident that there's not much you can do with the roster that's in place of these guys under contract and if drew banister still can't get the best out of all of these guys what happens then well you know so that's going to be uh you know we're going to watch that for sure uh but you know early impressions it seems like these veteran guys are on board with drew banister and bottom line is you can put any coach behind that bench these guys are who they are and they're going to have to play 
uh, to their capabilities or probably above to be a better team that can contend sooner than later. Um, so I, I, I do see what you're saying, and I do agree with you, but you know, who's to say that you can bring in one of those recycled coaches and they're going to get out, uh, get more out of these guys than Drew Bannister can. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, you know, what can Drew Bannister do? How can he grow? But also how can Doug Armstrong continue to evolve and shape this roster, regardless of who this coach is, the end of this year, the start of next year, I feel like Doug Armstrong is going to have to make some changes. He's always looking. I mean, we could see trades here after the holiday freeze. I think that that's important to what the Blues are trying to do beyond the coach is for Doug Armstrong to find uh, the right mix of players. It's interesting you say that, Jared. We'll get you out of here on this, and we appreciate Jeremy Rutherford's time, as always. Find his work over at The Athletic and follow him on Twitter, at J.P. Rutherford. Elliot Friedman said on his 32 Thoughts podcast the other day that he believes the Blues were out there looking at trades. He I don't know. Remember what the exact phrasing he said was. They were out. They were out looking, looking around. Looking around. Uh, I think was what he said. And then he brought up the Colorado Avalanche, who did end up making a trade. Tomas Tatar ends up going elsewhere, and he thinks that they're looking to acquire more talent for them. When you think about what the Blues could do via trade, do you, do you think it would be bringing in guys that are here for the long haul? Is it sending out players for the short term? Like, how do you view what the trades could look like over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's fair. It's it's tough because it's so hard to see what you can do in season. That's the biggest thing. Like mm-hmm. I think the, I think the organizational shaping trades are made in the off season. You know, no secret there. You know, if you're to trade a Tory Krug, a Brandon Saad, those types of guys, you know, can can you make that happen now? It's it's so difficult. And and then also, you know, maybe this is the spark that the Blues need, and maybe they do get some. Uh, some good play out of these guys who were underachieving. And maybe you can sneak into the playoffs and play a, uh, at least a round in the playoffs. Uh, you know, if that's the case and it becomes a good situation for a lot of these players, maybe Doug Armstrong does stick it out into the offseason when he can make a trade that's going to be more impactful for that team. So I think, you know, cop-out answer here, but I think it's what's available in season, what are teams looking for. But at this point, I'll say this, I don't know that Doug Armstrong wants to do anything that's going to take away from his team this year and play in good hockey, um, and even if it's looking towards the future, uh, to take away because he said himself a number of times he wants this to be a competitive year and it to be a competitive team d- during the retool and I just can't see him taking away pieces who could help that even though it's uh, you know a season where you just don't know about this team. I don't know Jr. Noah Hannafin would look pretty darn good mm. in that blue note by the end of the season. Yeah, it could be. That's going to be a sweepstakes. That's going to cost Kuchuk, a lot. Go get him too. Maybe yeah. what the hell? Brady Kachuk. We'll see uh, if he becomes available. You know they. All right. Somebody's somebody's taking coat. too many cough drops. Why not get all three of them? No, I think it's uh, really. Yeah. I, I just see that uh, the way he has stood by wanting this team to be competitive. Um, I just don't know that he's going to trade anything to do with the future or anything that could take away from the Blues uh, continuing to push through this retool. The holiday roster freeze goes into effect tonight, 11.59 local time. It continues through December the 28th. So if there's going to be a move, it, it happens Get it done, uh, JR. before midnight this evening. Uh, so JR can enjoy his Christmas with his family. That is certainly uh, worthy of him. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, happy holidays to you and the fam. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. You guys, too. Thanks a lot. See you, buddy. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, joining us as he does each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. I mean, I'm just 
Noah Hannafin would look really awesome. Yeah, the Kachucks would look great here. Well, uh, it's you, all it's you all can't every bit do of that. At least mine's doable. I don't think any of them are very likely for okay. this team at this particular Turn his mic off, Tanner. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Turn Service text line too. for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, have you uh, talked about Mizzou yet? It looks like they've had a good day so far. Uh, <laughs> I have. Did What did Mizzou do? I didn't even know they did I'm anything. Well, they lost Alex. to Seton Hall. Way to hold on to that we're victory. Not, we're not talking ah, about that. Jesus. Hey, Mizzou basketball is not very good. No. Um, it's, a, it's a retool year. For, for oh, okay. <laughs> After they made it to the second round last year, yeah, and lost to an Ivy League school, a 15 seed. Hey, that Ivy hey. League school hey. was pretty good. Hey. It was a bad moment. How's the how's the how's the You think I'm big one? That was a real retool year. Yeah, you you choke every year in the first round, man. So maybe you shouldn't be. Your team hasn't been you. Your team hasn't been good since 2004. I hope they kick the crap out of Mizzou on Friday, and I hope Underwood blows them out and just keeps the starters in. That's fine. They're still going to choke in the first round and lose to another pointless team. And their their football team is celebrating walk-ons. And their football team can't even keep Illinois players in their own state. So for those curious that want to talk about real football. On the SEC by the Tigers, uh, Mizzou added okay. Oklahoma LSU? offensive line transfer, the number one offensive lineman in the transfer portal, Caden Green. He's a stud. He's going to be your left tackle next year. He's coming to the Tigers. Courtney Crutchfield, four-star wide receiver, the number one player in the state of Arkansas. He has committed to play for the Tigers next year. So uh, Mizzou's on a roll. I've never seen anything quite like it, Alex. This is the best recruiting I've ever seen at the in the history of Mizzou. Transfer portal has been nothing but great. Where the Tigers NIL has been fantastic for Mizzou. It's also probably college illegal. football playoff or bust for the Tigers in 2024. I'm sorry, was there a question in there? This is questions and answers, not well, BK said, gets to guys brag about, about his team. So I was this is, this is becoming it's a pretty biased end. show yeah. of your favorite teams. No kidding. Coming up next, let's talk about the Blues. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the Royals offseason next? Oh, what about great. the Chiefs and their big win? 314-399-9646 is the like Air Comfort Service X line from the 636. Alex, if the Blues were able to get one of the Kachuk brothers, which <laughs> would you prefer? Keith. Yeah, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Chantel, his wife, apparently she runs it all. Yeah, um, probably Matthew. He's the one that played with Robert Thomas, right? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. What I w- that's what I'd be going on. I mean, I, I freaking love Brady because... Brady is the ultimate captain in that game against the uh, the Blues where he fought Tucker. For a minute, if if Ottawa would have come back in that game, I probably would have thought Tucker shouldn't have fought there because you just you just poked the bear there. But luckily, they found a way to eliminate it. I love Brady's fire, but Matthew Kachuk's presence around the net and his all-around play in the offensive zone would lead me more towards him. I would say Matthew because he's played with Robert Thomas, and I, I think that's just such an important factor. Those two are close, played together. That would be a reason that he made all the sense in the world for the Blues, and just his game is like what Brady's is. It provides fire, goes to the front of the net, has that goal-scoring touch. I'm not saying to knock on Brady, but I, he did lose a fight to Tucker. Like That was kind of telling. Okay? 50-50. It was I, a toss-up. I would go Matthew because I just think he's a better player. 
He's just, I, I think a line a, of, I think if your line was Matthew Kachuk with Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich, you'd be talking about one of the most dominant lines in hockey. Could have happened. Uh, 3143 no. is the air comfort service no. text line for questions and answers from the 636. Alex, do you think that Robert Thomas has the potential to develop into a perennial all-star? I do. I I love the breakdown that you guys were having yesterday talking about the way he's performed and where he's going. And uh, Sebastian Ajo was the comp, and that's a phenomenal comp. I the, the goal scoring is there now. He's showing that he could be a 30-goal scorer with what he's been doing. Power play gets going. You know he's got the ability to put up points. He's a 100-point player for you. Do you want to hear a BK stat? Oh, boy. It's probably a great stat, and you just stole no, it No, this is truly a BK stat. <laughs> uh, there's one player in the history of the St. Louis Blues that has scored at least 30 goals with a plus 30 on the ice. Do you know who that player was? 30 goals and a plus 30. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this. If you want a hint, I'll, I'll give you one guess first, and then I'll give you a hint. He guesses on who Bobble that player Demetrius. was. Nope. That's a good guess. Uh, it's got to be recent. I'll go Vladdy. No, nope. no chance he was. Uh, it is relatively recent. That was going to be my uh, my hint. It's in the last 20 years. It That's can't be Brad. It can't be Brad Boys. It's in the last right? 15 years. Um, Brad Boys would never have been a plus 30. So it's right? not Chris Pronger because that could have been totally Chris Pronger. I'm actually surprised by who it was. Um, 30 it- goals isn't a plus 30. Chris Stewart? Nope. No, I don't think he ever got to three um, more. Backus. David Backus. How about that? One wow. year where he was a plus 30 on the ice and 30 goals what scored. Year was that? It was 2010, 2011. So that uh, was David the first Backus. year of Ken Hitchcock. Yep. How about that? So that that is what, by the way, Robert Thomas is on pace to do this year. Was that Davis Payne? Uh, that was Davis Payne. That was Davis Payne. Yep. He's available. Davis Payne's final full season with the Blues. That was the... Uh, the best year for David Backus in terms of the goals plus. Wow. And then it got minus. more defensive hockey with Ken Hitchcock. Exactly. And <laughs> makes that's sense. Interesting. Uh, yeah. that, that's the current pace for Robert I mean, Thomas. If he does that and he's consistently that player, yeah, he'll be it, a perennial all-star. If he does that by the end of this season, there's no more talk about when he becomes a star. He's a star yeah. because yeah. He, this season he's played against every team's top line from start to finish. My analysis of Robert Thomas lagged behind because I was using too much the early season indicators on his performance. For the last like month or so, he's been really good, man. Yeah. And I just have to take the L. He's and, been great. And I'll go out on a limb here. This this Thomas Kyrun Buchnevich line, I, I think, is about to hit a breaking point in terms of offense where they're about in to go way. because of Drew Bannister. I think Drew Bannister is going to – not that Craig Burby didn't do this. I think this is all on those three guys. But they've got the ability to kind of take a, a, a step back and breathe and now do what was making them successful last season, and I think that's going to benefit those three. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into a game of bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it, forgetting it here on BK and Ferrario. Guys, by the way, I apologize. If I struggle at any point in time, you can probably hear it. I've got a bit of a cough. I'm playing a little hurt today. I'm basically Jalen Hurts, but on the radio. So if Not as good as people thought he was? Pretty much that is essentially me. One, one good season and then just living on my laurels for the rest of time. Coming up next, really can Sorry, you develop mean. players and win at the same time in the NHL? Craig Burby had an interesting answer to that with us yesterday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tebow 
going on, BK? You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So yesterday, we had the pleasure to catch up with former Blues head coach, Stanley Cup champion, Craig Berube. Huge shout out to Alex, by the way, who set that up for us. Unfortunately, Alex was under the weather yesterday, uh, so we had to do it without him. But Alex was the one that made that possible. Yeah. And also a shout out to Craig Berube yeah. for being willing uh, to come on the station. You know, Craig said he didn't want to come on with Brandon, but I'm like, Craig, I promise he's going to ask the great questions. He'll be fine. And he's like, ah, you know what? For Alex you, Alex, like, hey, I I've given him a script. He's just going to follow the script to a T. And I did. I followed exactly what true. Alex wanted it's to get true. out of the interview. So He was my George Clooney. Yesterday, Craig Burby had a really interesting <laughs> comment when asked about the difficulty of developing guys at the NHL level while trying to win. Here's what he had to say about trying to balance those two things. It's a hard thing to manage, to be honest with you. And um, I think we're at this year, we're we're trying to develop some younger players on the back end and, and a couple up front. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're trying to get some real chemistry built with, with the whole team at the same time and, and to, to be able to win hockey games, you know. Um, it, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, now, it is doable, I believe, uh, but it takes time. It takes time. So this is something T-Bone and I have talked to Ollie Marmel a lot about down at the ballpark, and I remember there's a quote from Nolan Arenado this year that will stick with me forever where he said, hey, we're a really young team. And I looked around the locker room, I was like, I don't think you're that young of a team. Like, you've got a lot of veterans on this team. Did but- you want to say, Nolan, you're old as hell? <laughs> no, I did not. Come but on, Grandpa, catch up. <laughs> he felt that way because he looked around and it was a lack of experience. Like That's Brendan Donovan mean. isn't necessarily a young guy, but he lacks experience. Nolan Gorman is still pretty early in his major league career, and so you've got guys that are taking on significant roles that are really inexperienced within those respective roles. And I think that's really what's happening for the Blues. Like, I look up and down their lineup, and I'm like, are they actually a young team? Because I look at their lineup, and I'm like, I I don't really think you're that young. The difference, though, is Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas have never taken taken on this role as young players. And so that, I think, is the biggest thing that they're trying to learn is, okay, how do we become top-line players, the best players on a contending team while trying to win right now? That's damn near impossible, man. At any level of any sport, you look at the NFL, you look at Major League Baseball, NHL, it's really hard to learn how to win and to learn how to win while also learning how to be a pro or learning how to take on a new role. Oh, boy, that is a really difficult thing to accomplish. I've heard a lot of people say, like, I'm sick of people bringing up that this this person's young. He's not young. He's 24, 23 years old. When they say that the person is young, they're not talking about his age. They're talking about their mindset. They're young in terms of they don't understand what it takes yet to be a winner in this league. And it's not just the Blues that are going through this. Guys, look at the Ottawa Senators. Brady Kachuk was drafted fourth overall, like what, five years ago? And they still have yet to hit that winning area. Why? Because there's that youth in terms of needing to figure out how to win certain ways. And I loved his answer with you because you there are teams that can toe the line with both. Like the Dallas Stars, to me, is a perfect example. They have a veteran group with younger players that they're winning with. They've got um, Wyatt Johnston, who was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. He's been on this team since, and they've been a really good roster. He's been a contributing player. Jason Robertson has not been a NHL veteran player. This is like a, what, third full season? But they've won because they've got a group of players that know what it takes to win, and they're integrating these younger players in. What is very difficult to do is what Craig Berube was talking about. Not just one player or two players, 
five, six, seven players because hockey is all about the five-man unit on the ice. And if you've got one young player in terms of experience on the ice with three guys who are veterans, it's not going to work out. That's what part of the reason, a slice of the pie, as T-Bone would like to say, of why this fell apart for Craig Berube. He just couldn't find the perfect re, the, the perfect union of the group of guys that were winning, a young group of guys that are trying to figure it out, and then sprinkling in some rookies in there and doing your best with it. They did it so well in 2019 because Robert Thomas was the young, Robert Thomas and Vince Dunn were the two youngest players on that roster. Everyone else was old in terms of their time in the NHL. The best players were that way. Yeah, I think that's what's different this time around. Like. I look at the the Blues right now. Their best players are young. Their best players are still growing into who they're going to be when they're fully formed NHLers. You look at the, for example, you you mentioned the Stars. You look at the Stars. Their best players are all fully developed. Like, even somebody like Miro Heiskanen, who is a young player. He's only 24 years old. He's been in the NHL for six years, dude. He's been a top line or top pair defenseman for the last four seasons. He knows what this role means. He knows what it's like. I know Curbs has mentioned this a number of times with Tyler Tucker. Now, I disagree with the evaluation on Tyler Tucker. I think he's just a third pairing defenseman. Nothing wrong with that. That's a win given what how you acquired him. But Miro Haskinen did the thing where he goes around the NHL once, goes around the NHL twice. Now he's got it all taken care of, and now he's dominating. That he's already there at that point in his respective career. You look at the Blues and like Miro Haskinen did that as a top pair number one defenseman. Robert Thomas has not yet done that. This is his first season truly as being a top line center getting all of the difficult matchups. Jordan Cairo has not yet been the top like number one no doubt about it circled by every team goal scorer on the Blues. He previously had David Perron or Vladimir Tarasenko that was still on the team with him. Now he's the guy that every team is circling with a like red pin around him, stop that guy. Do not allow that guy to beat us as a goal scorer. That changes some things, man. And there's some growing pains that will come accordingly. And so when you've got that that's taking place on your roster as your best players and you're trying to win, oof, it gets tough. And you're going to have nights where it gets really ugly. Now, the difficult part is you can't also have those players not trying hard. Mm -hmm. You can't have them going out there and having a lack of compete and I think that's why they had to make this move. If Craig Berube was just losing, if he had this exact same record, but you felt like the compete level was there every night, I think Craig Berube still the head coach. I think he eventually gets let go because that's what happens through a retool is your coach gets fired, unfortunately. But I think he would still be here right now today. I think what happened to him was I think the message got stale. And I don't know why that happens in the NHL. I can't explain it. But it does, even yeah. to really good coaches. Well, and the compete wasn't there for these experienced players that are also young. Like, that's the hard part right now. Uh, a Jordan Cairo, as Craig Burby told you guys, he's got to compete every single night. And when he does, he's going to be a very dominant player. But if he doesn't, that's where it falls to the wayside. And the hard part and why it's going to be such an interesting decision by Doug Armstrong of what happens after this season, if they stick with Drew Bannister, if they go for another head coach, is it only gets harder from here. Because not only do the Blues still have to figure out the best ways to utilize the roster that they have in place that's here for a few more years, but now you're bringing in younger players in a Jimmy Snuggerud and yep. a Dalibor Dvorsky. These are guys that are going to start playing in your top nine. So now you got to restart the cycle once again of gotta, we got to win, but you also have to figure out how to develop these guys in a winning but way. the hope is, and this is why I think it's a little different, those guys can come in as a like Complimentary support piece. level piece. Yeah. 
where Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas are then established as top line players. And I think you got to have more than just two guys to be top line players to sprinkle those players in. I agree, but I think that's where like Shin and Saad and Kevin Hayes and Jake Neighbors and Pavel Buchnevich potentially come in is those guys are all also re- like those are ready made NHLers, right? They're they're good to go. Um and I think the problem with the defensive core is they're just not playing well. Like I I don't think that Having Tyler Tucker or Perunovic, like, that's not a problem. If you have one guy defensively that is trying to develop himself at the NHL level, that should not be a reason why your defensive core is bad. No. It, it can't be a reason. Every NHL team has that. Um, so I I disagree with it. Like, the idea that they're young on the back end, they're not. Th- those guys are all fully formed. No, yeah, that's not young. On the front end, though, if you've got Thomas and Cairo and they do take that step under Drew Bannister, then I think you can have a second line where you've got Shin, Sod, and... Snuggerud, right? And that that can work, man. That that's okay. That's something similar to what you see a lot of these teams around the NHL, Stars for example, doing. Uh that third line, if you've got like Kevin Hayes, Jake Neighbors and you add in Dvorsky, that can work. You you can make something like that happen or Bolduke maybe as the winger on that line. And then maybe your fourth line is Dvorsky to start things off with uh Humaging or whoever else is on that line, uh, Toropchenko. Now you're looking pretty good. Yeah. Now you're like, "Okay, I I see how you can develop one guy." on these lines as opposed to having your top line players as the ones that you're trying to develop. The one other thing that I wanted to get to blues related, Alex, uh, speaking of guys that aren't going to be here long-term Elliot Friedman had an interesting comment on his 32 thoughts podcast the other day. We'll listen to this together. I want to get your interpretation of what he was trying to say here. I'll, I'll say this also St. Louis, they were really looking around. Now, I wonder if it dies down because he made the coaching change instead and they're starting to win some games. But St. Louis was really looking around. And the other team really looking around, Colorado. I interpreted that as they were looking around to make a move prior to the Craig Berube firing to see if they could jumpstart something, to see if there was something out there that they could bring in that could get that team out of their slump. That's how I interpreted it. And then when he followed it up with Colorado, yes, Colorado traded Tomas Tatar to Seattle, but Friedman basically said they did that to open up space so that they could make another move. I personally thought that this was Doug Armstrong looking around the market to see if there was a trade there for the Blues. That's kind of where I was. I, I wonder if he was looking around for a winger, maybe try and do a one-for-one one defenseman swap. Or defenseman. I, my first thought was maybe he was looking around for, would anybody be willing to take on, like, Jakub Vrana, we do a swap. Is there a guy around the league that's making close to his salary, and we say, you know what, it's not working here, it's not working there, let's just do it at a hockey trade and see if we can just bring something in that could potentially spark the team. I don't know what this would look like. I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was... Hey, they were going to move out players because it's clearly not working. Now they decided to get rid of the coach. And so they'll see if this group of players works under a new head coach. And if it doesn't, then they're going to go back to what the previous plan was. I remember a couple of years ago, this was, I believe, uh, 2018, 19. uh, There was the report that that? Doug Armstrong sent out the Christmas list, right? (laughs) And said, hey. This is the players that are available. It's every player on our team. You send us an offer. We'll let you know what we're thinking. Uh, but he wanted to wait until after the holidays to decide what they were going to do. And then, of course, we all know what the, the rest was history. But I wonder if something similar happened here where he was like, hey, give us offers. 
Let us know how you value these guys on our roster because we're not tied to anybody right now other than probably like Robert Thomas, Colton Pareko, you know, the normal uh, Bennington, the normal names. But that's the way that I interpreted it was it was more about sending guys out than bringing something. (laughs) And I think it could have been both. I think you could have been looking at like, hey, we're going to ship some of these guys out so we can put some of these younger players in. But do you have a player that you're looking to ship out also trade for trade hockey deal? That It could have been both in that circumstance. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, another comment that Craig Berube mentioned yesterday that caught our ear was him coaching up Jordan Cairo even after being let go by the St. Louis Blues. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit, but better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets him up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario, we will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. Guys, Aaron Rodgers is on the Pat McAfee show. He's talking to them right now about how he's not going to play football again this year. Who could have seen it coming? It's shocking. <laughs> I saw his face on the sideline when Zach Wilson got concussed. He was done. He also added this, quote, I don't think next year will be my last, end quote. Two more years of this. Guys, bet it or forget it. Aaron Rodgers doesn't play another playoff game in his career. Yeah, I'm sensing a lot of stank on that question. A lot of hate. Bet it or forget it. BK wants Aaron Rodgers to never play in a playoff game bet against. That's what I would bet. Uh, I'll still bet your scenario. I don't think they. I. I'm not sure they have a great team, they, even with Rodgers. They have a great defense. Yeah. Do Last weekend didn't look good. I was going to say. I do think they have a great defense. I think that offensive line is a is at a critical mass of failure right now. I'm not sure the weapons are that great, though, either. Like, They've got Brees Garrett Hall Wilson and Garrett Wilson, that's about it. And I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just I look at that team, and as much as people think of Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers makes this team more than three wins better. Now, sure, you're a playoff team, but... I don't look at the Jets as a team that's going to do anything in the playoffs. So I'll bet this one. I, I They're going to probably fire Salah, I would imagine. I don't think so. You don't think so? Even with all these guys available in the offseason? I think that Aaron Rodgers wants his guys well, around and his guys are around as part of Robert Salah's This staff. feels like that prototypical old team that's clinging on to hope and they're so old that they don't realize they're so old. They handed the keys to the organization over to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And he should have seen that that car was a lemon. I'm going to forget this because I could still see where they win one playoff game because of Rodgers. But, I, I mean, it's easy to see where you guys are coming to because I was just running through the list of teams in the AFC and how I think that what they could look like next year. Baltimore will be good again. Miami will be good again. Chiefs still have Mahomes, and surely we'll learn their lesson and add a yeah, wide receiver. Hopefully. Jacksonville's got their quarterback there. When Burrow's healthy, the Bengals will be in that conversation. And he's going to be in it with Anthony Richardson. Houston's going to be in it. Healthy this Colts, year. Texans are two teams that are on the upswing. Buffalo. Did you say I the Chargers know. yet? I'm not. I'm getting to them because I'm just running yeah. through things. I put Chargers Buffalo will be there when it. they get a new head coach. So like that's eight teams right there. And if you put Buffalo in I'm it, that's Buffalo nine. Buffalo in it. So like it's. Yeah. I can easily see where you can easily bet this one. 
but I, I'm forgetting because of what you said. They got a really good defense. Rodgers probably does add maybe just two wins to this team. I could see where they could sneak in, and if Rodgers just plays great but for one game, they could win a playoff Even game. with Rodgers, you're the third best team in your division. I'm not, I mean, I, I, from what I've seen from the Bills, today, I'm not right. saying that the Jets are better than them, even with Rodgers. We'll see what the offseason looks like, but you guys know where I stand on this. Alex, what do you got? Uh, better to forget it, guys. By the end of this season, Kyrou and Thomas both have 35-plus goals. I'm going to forget it. I don't think Thomas gets there. You were there that last segment that we just talked mm-hmm. about, right? Mm-hmm. And you were the one that was like, oh, hey, this guy's perennial I think he gets to 30, which would be, dude, amazing. If you have Robert Thomas at 30 goals, I, there was a point in time not all that long ago where I thought he would never get to that point in his career. If he gets to 30 goals, he's getting 100 points this season. Potentially. Because, I, I mean, I still think Kyrou is going to put up the 35 goals, yeah. and that means you're going to be looking at 60-plus assists by Robert Thomas. This power play starts to get going. Thomas could be that first 100-point player that you've had since Brendan Shanahan. I'm actually going to uh, bet this one. I do think both get the 35 goals this season. I, I, I'm very bullish on that top line right now that they've got a little bit more breathing room to go out there and perform the way they want to. I don't know when this honeymoon period is going to end, but until it does, I hope they go on a little bit of a run. Kyra, to get there, you'd have to have 29 goals in the next 52 games. He could easily Absolutely do doable. And Thomas to, do, to sounds, get there. It sounds like a ton because it is, but I'll look into what he did last year. I think he was not too far off of that well, he base had, last year. Yeah, I, was, I looked at He had like, what, nine goals through 25, 25 games yeah. last year and finished with 37. So. Yeah. He's, a, right. he's a very streaky player, and when they he Six starts to score, yeah. goes in in bunches. I'm going to forget it, though, too, because 35 will be a lot for Thomas. Can he get to 30? Yeah, get that little extra step there to 35. Maybe, but I'm still a little skeptical, so I'll forget it. But, I mean, if if they do, and if Thomas is the 100-point player, which I think is definitely possible, what a huge win for the Blues organization. When you were looking for those two guys to take the next step, we'll see. The jury's still out on Jordan Cairo, but if Thomas gets there... That is a massive win for the Blues, a team that I mentioned in the offseason. They need someone to develop into a superstar. 100 points is a superstar. By the way, guys. 28 games last year. Sorry, Alex. You're good. Uh, Jordan Kyrou had six even strength goals and 23 points overall. This year through uh, 30 games, he has six even strength goals and 21 points. So he's two points behind that pace from a year ago, at least based on his even strength goal mm-hmm. scoring. Um the difference is last year he had four power play goals at this point in yeah. time and he he's just got to get himself going on the power play if and when that happens he's going to be right in line not to uh toot my own horn but toot toot colton pareko uh, is four goals away from the most goals among defensemen this season in the nhl toot toot t-bone all right uh bet it or forget it we will see a wild card team in the nfl get to the super bowl this year Ooh, that's fun um i do we know the wild card teams yet? No. <laughs> Pick your poison. Like like the AFC, I think we know the wild card teams. As of today, they would be Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. You've Oof. got the opportunity to see one of Houston or Buffalo in there as well. I, I think Buffalo's getting in. Yeah, I, I, I would bet on them to be one of the playoff teams. I do not think that they're going to win their division. They could make it really interesting depending on what happens this week with Miami. Uh, Miami this week has Dallas next week on the road at Baltimore and then finishes up the season against Buffalo. If they lose out, Buffalo very much in the conversation. Buffalo's the team that I would pinpoint here. So I will say forget it because I think Baltimore is the best all-around team in the AFC right now. But I absolutely love, like if there was a 
there was a bet on the FanDuel Sportsbook or Circus Sportsbook, I, I would go take it because the odds would probably be worthwhile. So, so to me, their question is Buffalo and one of the Cowboys or Eagles. Because one of those two teams are going to be a wild card team. No, I said just oh, wild he said card. any wild card. Yeah. So, so those are the three that are out there. I, I think Philadelphia is going to be the wild card team. And frankly, I'm very concerned about Mouth. Philadelphia. They're plain and simple worse than the San Francisco 49ers. I think the Cowboys are better. So I'm going to, I'm going to bet this one though, because I do think the Buffalo bills could get in. The AFC is just so freaking wide open yep. that if the bills go on just a, a binge at the end of this season and just run the table, they're going to be a confident group going into that postseason. I'm going to forget it, but I think Buffalo is the only team that would give you a shot at this because of what you guys have said. I mean, if Josh Allen gets hot, we've seen that he, he plays three of the best games in a row of his career, he could get the Bills through the AFC. The Their AFC running game is, is what makes me confident about them, too. Yeah, James Cook looked awesome this past great. week. Um, they, If they get hot, they can definitely be the team that sneaks in because I don't think there's a great team in the AFC. I think there's a couple good teams, but nobody great. <laughs> I don't think a wildcard team can get through San Fran. I don't think anybody's getting through that buzzsaw in San Fran in the NFC unless injuries occur. So I would forget it because I'm still a little skeptical if Buffalo even gets in. They got to play well still down the stretch. Let's get a few of these in from the text line. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, better to forget it. Mizzou ends up with a first-round bye in the college football playoff next year. Top four team in college football. Obviously, I'm going to bet this one. I'm going to forget this one. I think they end Best up in the team college in the football SEC. playoff, but I think they will be hosting a game for the college football playoff in that first round. They're somewhere between like five and eight. So I'm, I'm going to say forget this one, but I am on... I'm buying in on the hopium, just how, not that high. How the hell do you call yourself a fan if you're not going to buy into this? Bet it. They're going to be the one of the. They'll be the best team in the SEC next season. Forget Plain it. and simple. Forget it. Nearly beat Georgia. They're going to be better than Georgia this coming season with all these players. Can they make the playoff? Yeah. Can they get a top four seed? No. They will not be better than a Georgia or an Alabama. This team is going to go six and seven. Uh, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. Guys, better to forget it. The Blues make the playoffs this year. Just because, hope, hope you just because the Western Conference is so 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 much crap, I'm gonna say bet it. I mean, I mean, after what two wins by the Blues, you've put yourself one it, point out of the wild, wild card, card spot. Now, I don't yeah. think the division. Is I don't. I don't think three. you're gonna you're gonna catch Dallas, Colorado, or Winnipeg. Um, so yeah, it's one of the wild card spots. Which surprise, surprise, it's held by Nashville and Arizona. One of these three teams is going. Two of these three teams are going to be wild card teams: Nashville, Arizona, St. Louis. Do you think Edmonton gets back into it? Yeah, I do. The way they would get into it is the wild card as well, though, because I don't think they're catching up to Vegas, Vancouver. Or the Kings. I think they'll get back into the conversation. I don't think they're going to win one of those spots unless they fix their goaltender. They fix their goaltender. I'll say, frankly, they'll get back into the top three in the Pacific. If they don't fix their goaltender, they're going to be in the same problems I, that they've been in. I, I'm forgetting it. I think that the Western Conference has started to pull away a bit in terms of the Central Division. And then I think there's teams behind the Blues right now that are likely to take another step forward while the Blues, I think, are more likely to not tear it down, but pull back a little bit. Yeah. As they get I'll be out. interested to find out which team Nashville, Arizona fizzles out. <laughs> My gut tells me Arizona, but who's more talented of the two? I, Arizona by far, I but I think Arizona is going to be very aggressive at the trade deadline. I, it would not surprise me if Arizona pulls off some type of crazy deal to get both Lindholm and Hannafin from the Calgary Flames. And now you're looking at a freaking juggernaut. What do they have like four second round picks? Yeah. And they've got year? like three first round picks they've next got year. 
So they've only got one first round pick oh, in the really? next three drafts. They've got three second round picks and three third round picks next year. They've got four second round picks and two second or two third round picks in 2025. And then three more second round picks Jeez. and two third round picks in 2026. Oh, yeah. so Bill Armstrong is like in the best place ever. He's got 10 second round picks and seven third round picks over the next three years. They have a ton of draft capital to play with. And there comes a point in time where you don't want to make all of those picks any longer. And they're pretty much there. They now. will be buyers at the deadline. Nashville, I think, is going to be the team that's like, I know we'll stand pat yeah, and see what happens. Too. All right, coming up next, Craig Burby still seems to be coaching Jordan Cairo even after he has left the bench from here in St. Louis. We'll get to his response on Jordan Cairo's game coming up here in just a minute. Uh, also, two coaching situations that might be worth monitoring if you're a Blues fan. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. Once again, we talked to Craig Bruby yesterday. If you missed any of it, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. He was very good on all different topics, but one that I found to be most enlightening was what he had to say about Jordan Cairo. And Alex, he, he talks to Jeremy Rutherford and Andy Strickland about uh, the comments from Jordan Cairo and how he was booed at the game. He, he made that comment on Friday. I wanted to push this thing forward a little bit yesterday by talking to him about the response game that we saw from Jordan Kyra. I had not heard his comments on that yet. So here's what Craig Bruby told us yesterday. He talked about first how happy he was for Kyra that he was able to have that game. But then he went into coach mode again. And here's what he had to say. Really, it's just about him competing on a, on a nightly basis and and put using his talents to the best he can. But, you know, he will become a better and better player as he grows up a little bit and becomes more competitive as a player, you know, because he has the tools. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And some, sometimes that competitiveness is not there, but listen, you know, I was, I was happy for Jordan to come out and perform at a high level after a, a tough night the night before. I, I mean, he's right. It, it's all about the compete from Jordan Cairo. And frankly, I think the best we've seen of Jordan Cairo since he's been in the NHL has been these last two games in terms of his compete level. I mean, he's been very good in the offensive zone, winning puck battles. And then on the other side, he's been back checking. And that's, that's where so much of the frustration came from. A lot of people probably viewed Craig Berube's frustration with Cairo as because, oh, well, Berube doesn't like to coach these types of players. He wants defensive-minded players. No, Craig Berube is A-OK coaching these types of players. He needs and wants to see the compete winning those battles. That's why Verona fell out of graces. That's why Mike Hoffman fell out of graces. It's why things were so up and down with him. But Jordan Cairo's best step forward, and I think a lot of what took place from that Detroit Red Wings loss to the Berube comments to the win on Thursday against the Ottawa Senators, I think a lot of the step forward for Jordan Cairo is recognizing, hey, this fan base is very smart. And when they see me putting the work in on the ice, they're going to respond well to it. People weren't cheering Cairo on Saturday. 
Saturday just because they felt bad for him. People were cheering Cairo because they saw from the moment he stepped on the ice, he was going after pucks, he was winning those battles, and he was creating offense because of his skill. That's where Baruby's coming from. Baruby wants to see the best out of all of these guys. Baruby knows Cairo's never going to hit his peak until he puts the compete in on the ice. Yeah, and if you're not going to compete for every puck battle, every board battle when you're out there on the ice, you can become a negative, even with the skills that Jordan Cairo has. And you saw then the Red Wings scheme that ultimately led to Craig Bruby's firing was he doesn't have the compete to win that board battle on that six-on-four power play. I can't remember what it yeah. was. But he should have kept that puck in the zone. He doesn't compete hard enough for it, turns it over, and it leads to the goal, and it ends up sealing the deal for the Blues in that game and Craig Bruby's uh, job here in St. Louis. He competes. He can be one of the best players in the NHL. We've seen it. You saw it in that game against uh, Ottawa, or what in the game they won where he drives to the net. That was Dallas, used, yeah. Yeah, Dallas, thank you. Uh, in that game, he was competing, and he used not just his skills, but the competitiveness to drive by a guy, shield him off with the body, compete, get the puck on net, and then allow Preko to come in and finish. When he's competing, he is one of the best players in the NHL, and he shows you why he was deserving of that contract. But when he's not competing, he's not worth the $8 million that he was paid, and he can become a negative for the St. Louis Blues. It also affects the mindset of everybody else. Like, when he's on the ice and he's not competing, you just look around. If you're one of the teammates, you're like, I got to cover for him again. Right? Like, and that just wears on people. It grinds them down. And when you're playing 82 games with somebody and they're not pulling their end of the – it it gets hard, man. It it becomes tedious, monotonous. It's like, got to go cover for that dude again. And – this is not a slight against Jordan Cairo. You guys know I'm I'm a bigger fan of Cairo than most, but that that is something that needs to improve. And so far, it has under Drew Bannister. And Alex, that's where I wanted to get to here is because I think we all kind of dismissed Drew Bannister, probably unfairly. So as okay, they're bringing up the guy from the AHL because this is what you do. You bring up the new guy, and he's going to be the the sacrificial lamb. They're going to lose a bunch of games, and then you. You let him go his separate ways, and at the end of the year, you bring in the guy that you're actually going to hire to be the head coach of the St. Louis Blues. You look at his resume, man. Drew Bannister is highly qualified to be an NHL head coach, whether it's here in St. Louis or elsewhere. This is a big opportunity for him because even if he doesn't get this job long term, if he shows he can win with an NHL roster, he's probably going to get interviews elsewhere. Oh, yeah. You look at what he did in the OHL. By year three, Won 85% of his games, 85% uh, points percentage that season. In the AHL, as the Springfield Thunderbirds head coach, 625 points percentage lost in the finals, 585 points percentage lost in the qualifying round last year, had a good team though. This year has once again been successful down there. Alex, did we dismiss the notion of him being the long-term answer here in St. Louis prematurely? Uh, I think so. Um I, I know Darren Dreger pushed back when, when we were asking about all these other head coaches, and rightfully so. I mean, Drew Bannister is the type of guy you really would perk your ears up at if you're trying to accomplish what Craig Berube said is so tough. Winning, but also developing players. Because if you look around the National Hockey League, people want Joel Quenville. Guys, Joel Quenville's not in this business anymore to develop players. He's in the business of winning if he's going back to being a head coach. Bruce Boudreaux, Gerard Gallant, all of these retreading of of coaches, they don't want to work with rookies. They want to work with an experienced team so that they can come in and win Stanley Cups. If you don't believe me, look at Gerard Gallant with the Rangers. Didn't work out quick. He was gone quick. Drew Bannister, and this is going to sound crazy so follow me here 
Drew Bannister is kind of in the same trajectory as what John Cooper was when he was brought in by the Tampa Bay Lightning. What? So John Cooper wasn't in the OHL. John Cooper was coaching in the uh, USHL, which Pat Maroon was playing there. But he was there for a very long time as a head coach, won multiple championships there. Then took the next step into being the American Hockey League head coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning for two and a half seasons when he was brought up to the NHL. Now, he stepped into a team that had Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman. At the time, it was Marty St. Louis and Vincent LeCalvier. They had a lot of veterans around. But if you look at year by year of the rosters that he had, he slowly implemented players that he had in the American Hockey League, guys like Tyler Johnson, Brent Connolly, Andre Pilat, Alexander Kalorn, Nikita Kucherov. He implemented all of these players from the AHL into his NHL roster. And then, while he was head coach... The team drafted Andre Vasilevsky, Jonathan Druin, Braden Point, Anthony Sorelli, Matthew Joseph, Ross Colton, Taylor Radish. All of those players his team drafted while he was a head coach while winning and developing younger players. Now, absolutely, a lot of this is because you had the first overall pick and the third overall pick with Hedman and Stamkos. But the, the team that's in place for Tampa Bay right now that's been winning so much it's John Cooper who took a team that was in the, the dumps and started to win consistently. So, look, I'm not saying Drew Bannister is going to be John Cooper, but what I'm saying is if this guy gets the best out of this roster this season, there's no coach out there that's better suited to take this team out of a retool than a guy who knows all of these players that are in your system, knows who you've drafted, and knows some of the players that are your experienced players at the NHL level. That's... That's a perfect combination. That's a perfect union of what Doug Armstrong was trying to accomplish. Same can be said about Craig Berube. It's an interesting way to look at it. And I think one of the main differences, like the most, the biggest similarity is their success at the lower levels. John Cooper had success at every level. Now, he also won cups at every level. Like he went to the finals and then won once he got there. That is not something that we've seen from... Uh, Drew Bannister. However, he he had a lot of success, regular season and into the playoffs at, at each level. The other big difference, though, that I would say is there were better players coming through the Tampa Bay Lightning system when John Cooper was in their organization with Tampa prior to becoming their head coach. As I look at the AHL roster this year for the Blues, like who are the guys other than Bullduke and maybe Zach Dean that you expect to be NHLers in a significant capacity? Over the next few years, I mean, maybe one of their defensemen, but I mean, it's a long shot. Zarenko, maybe. Oh, as yeah, your, as your goalie who could be up here eventually. Probably. That's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And so that that would be a significant difference between the two. Is is guys are growing with the team? He would have had to have them previously, as opposed to guys that are like now down in the AHL. But so, he still works with some of those guys in training camps because during training camps when they're drafted and they're there sure, for a couple of years, he's there. Like mm-hmm. he, he worked uh, pr- shortly, but for a short stint with Jordan Cairo, we saw the graphic the other night. What is it? 13 of the 26 guys on the roster at some point in their lower level careers, they played for Drew Bannister. So he's got a connection with a lot of the guys currently on the roster, uh, just maybe not to the same degree that yeah. John Cooper did in Tampa Bay. There, there's very few coaches out there. If and Look, all of this is on if Drew Bannister gets the best out of this roster, sure. because if he struggles, then obviously you're going to be looking for somebody who can get the best out of the roster. But there's very few coaches in the NHL right now, a part of that retreading process that we talk so much about. There's very few. If Bannister has success that I'd look at and say, yeah, I'd rather have that guy over Drew Bannister. Uh, two other things really quickly to get to, Alex. One, 
if you're Craig Berube, are you listening to an offer potentially from Ottawa after they fired their head coach? If I'm Craig Berube, no. Um, I, I think it's a good spot for Craig Berube because, frank, frankly, that's a team that just needs his leadership and discipline that could probably turn them into a cup contender. But if I'm Berube, no. I, I don't, he's I, your first call if you're Ottawa. He's though, right? absolutely my first call. But if I'm him, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do it in the offseason because I, I want to figure out who I am as a head coach. And I want to see what's out there, because my goal, if I'm Berube, is coming back and winning a Stanley Cup. It's not coming back and going to a team that still needs some. I mean, Ottawa is a very good team, but Ottawa also has certain players that fall into the same category as the Blues. So I, if I'm him, I'm probably going to wait this process out and see what's out there in the offseason. The other name that I would keep an eye on if I'm a Blues fan. Rod Brendamore. And that's the guy that I would, if even if Drew Bannister has success. This came from Pierre Lebrun's piece earlier today. My tinfoil worked. Rod Brendamore hasn't hidden his frustration in postgame commentary with his team. As an added layer, it's also a fact that Brendamore is on an expiring contract, and you do have to wonder how much that uncertainty is weighing into things right now in Carolina. Carolina's not having the same success this year that they have in recent seasons, mostly because their goaltending has been complete trash so far this year. Alex, T-Bone, <laughs> or myself could probably do pretty similarly to what they've had at 5-on-5 five five from their goaltending. Their starter had an 854 save percentage. That is brutal. If, for whatever reason, he walks away, they decide not to bring him, whatever. If he becomes available, Rod Brindamore should be the number one target for the Blues with a bullet. No questions asked. He was an original draft pick here in St. Louis, played here for a few years. That is the guy that you go out there and target. And this is me acknowledging, yeah, maybe Drew Bannister ends up working out. You don't take the interim tag off of him, though, until you find out what's going on with Rod Brendamore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rod Brendamore, although a lot of people will say he's just like Craig Berube and that didn't work here, Rod Brendamore is somebody that every single player in the NHL uh, sees and looks at and is like, oh, yeah, Rod Brendamore. He's one of the top coaches out there, up there with John Cooper and uh, and Jared Bednar. So, uh, yes, I, that was a tinfoil originally for me because there was no contract. I was doing some J.P. Morosi connecting there. Uh, but now with Pierre Lebrun's report, and if they struggle or don't make the playoffs, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to wait until I see what happens there. They also consistently play with a lot of pace. Uh, so that, that's one of the fast. other biggest differences between uh, Carolina's system and what they and here in And he's gotten the best out of guys who weren't viewed as defensive players in terms of Aho and Svechnikov. Like, he's gotten the best out of that team. Junk drawer coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. And T-Bone on BK. Let's dive into the juncture. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? You guys have heard of the Savannah Bananas, right? Yeah, of course. Mm. Baseball team that does all kinds of weird great, stuff. Great by the pool. Yeah. Uh, they. Oh, sorry. Different banana. I just glossed right over Banana that. hammock. The Savannah Bananas have announced that they are launching their own cruise in 2024. Oh, cool. Banana land at oh, sea. <laughs> I've got so many jokes right now that I'm not sure FCC-wise I can say. It includes a game at Mar- Marlin Stadium in Miami, 
where okay. you get to watch them play. Four-night round trip to the Bahamas, meet and greets and performances. Wait, I can meet the bananas? Yep. And the room is ranging from $2,000 to $30,000. And what? on this trip... Wait, what? Rooms are ranging from $2,000 to $30,000 for this trip. What the, who the, the hell? The ship is 80% full already, which is just incredible. And I think one of my favorite things that I see that's on the agenda here is on the Thursday night, the evening, is special performances in theater on the how-to series, Twerk Line, balance with your favorite characters. That sounds like the dumbest cruise I've ever heard of in my life. And if somebody paid $30,000 for that, needs a new hobby. There's going to be a trick play contest. I mean, listen... Theoretically, this sounds like a pretty cool idea, honestly. Oh, really? You want to go spend time on Banana Land? Yeah, I think that would be fun. Yeah, you. Sounds awesome. You got a problem with that, Alex? No, nope, I don't. Okay, just hey, want to I, make sure. To each his own. I. To each his own. I can't imagine paying that kind of money for it. Isn't now, that, if money was no object to me, sure. I, if I don't care about throwing away five grand, this sounds great. But the pricing on this is astronomical. That's the problem here. Like, the idea, though, I, I mean, hey, credit to them. They clearly have an audience that is willing to throw away all of their hard-earned savings. But it just that's too much money, man. I, I would love to go to a Savannah Bananas game. Oh, really? Yeah. I have no interest. I love interest. Savannah, so I'll go to Savannah any day of the week. I have no interest in a Savannah Bananas. I mean, it's basically like going to a Harlem Globetrotters game. It's the same yeah. idea. Uh, yeah, but like, I enjoy I, the game too much, okay? I don't, I don't really like need to see. Like, at least the Globetrotters don't like twerk and dance with I mean, their it's just bats. An it's just entertainment. That's is all it, it is. though? Because yeah. I saw new kids on the block and they grinded a lot on the stage and that wasn't entertaining for me. No? no. See, I could, I, I could get into this. I saw this a circus in baseball in St. Louis last year. I didn't need to see the Savannah Bananas play. <laughs> Huge tape. Fun. That's Cedar Hendrickson. He's well, Alex go to Banana Land. Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the transfer cruise. portal, in my opinion, has added a new element of parody for college football. I think it's a good thing for the sport. We'll discuss it coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, it's time Uh-oh. for the latest edition Uh-oh. of our Major League Baseball offseason. All right, here we go. Roundup! Yeah! Ah! Here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. sick yesterday and he sounds better than i do alongside alex and t-bone i'm bk it is time for the major league baseball offseason roundup yeah i can't it is getting hot in here so well guys let's start with the big news that took place just about 30 minutes or so ago yuki matsui the uh the pitcher coming over from the NPB. The Cardinals bullpen pitcher, right? He visited St. Louis last week, reportedly. Probably loved it. He will not be siding oh. with the Cardinals. Instead, he is reportedly taking his talents to San Diego. Alex, your reaction? Well, the Cardinals didn't bring out all the stops. They didn't bring in the right group of people like the uh, other teams did for Yamamoto. Wait, Obviously, wait. the toasted ravioli didn't work for him here. Uh, so way to go, Mo. You missed out on another one. Obviously, prefers seafood over Provel. And probably prefers to pay to go to the zoo because the San Diego uh, zoo is not free also pretty cool not as good though free zoo it's good zoo jesus yeah, Come on, maybe he, maybe he's a big uh big sea world guy they probably took Sad him to the arch and like me he's like guys I've, I've seen the arch i don't need to see this again no this i, I was like i was kind of on the, the point of like okay the cardinals have had success going overseas for bullpen arms swung on oh kk which wasn't a bullpen arm but then you know mike schilt came along was like you're a bullpen arm 
I don't know if you needed another lefty in your bullpen. That's the big thing to me. And he had swing and miss stuff. He was tinier, so I wasn't sure how that was going to work. But bite size. You you bite size. I hate the bite size Oreos. <laughs> you need you need a righty. You need somebody who's got electric stuff from the right side. I think you're good on the left, especially if everybody's so excited about Jojo Romero. So. Good, good luck with Mike Schilt. My Mikey. reaction, and T-Bot, I want to hear from you as well. I, I just think there's so many other right-handed options available that it doesn't really bother me that they missed out on this. So the other thing is we don't know what the money is yet. We'll see what that ends up looking like. It's possible this is like pretty reasonable two- to three-year deal worth like five a year. That, that would be something that I would have definitely been interested in. I would have been thrilled to sign him, but... I mean, you look out there, there's like four guys that pitched in the Astros bullpen last year that I would like to see them look to acquire. Maybe Jordan Hicks, he's still out there as well. There's a bunch of relievers still on the market. So it's not a huge deal to me. And the fact that he is left-handed is something that to me did kind of tamp down my my hope for him. Yeah, I I don't think the Cardinals need another left-handed arm to be added to the bullpen. So I mean, if they brought one in because they think he can get both lefties and righties out, I wouldn't mind it. My guess is this is going to be a three, four-year deal, and I bet the Cardinals were offering more one year, maybe like sure. a player option or something to it as well, because I don't think the money's going to be an issue. And I agree with you. I just think there's better options out there than Matsui. Continuing right along, Cody Bellinger. It sounds like he's going to get more than $200 million, guys, on the open market. And the two teams that have been connected to him most often, Toronto and Chicago, the <laughs> Cubs, of course, being the other Guys, where do you think he ends up, and would you be interested in giving him, not for the Cardinals, of course, but for these teams, $200 million? No, that's that's a disaster waiting to happen. I would imagine you're talking, what, eight, nine-year deal? Because you're not going five years for him. Um, that's, that's a disaster waiting to happen. I get why both of these teams would be in on him, because, frankly, it's the last-ditch resort to have a good offseason, specifically for the Cubs who everybody was acting like this team was going to be world beaters and they haven't done anything. Um, I I could see the Cubs going to him and it not being $200 million, but I think he's going to land in Chicago because they're going to need something to get excited about with Craig council. Yeah, I think he's going to the Cubs, but I would not give him a $200 million deal. And it's I know crazy, man. I, I just look at the inconsistencies in the way his seasons have fluctuated. Now, look, they would tell you, they, I mean, Scott Boras, tell you he dealt with injuries, laid into part of it. And the one thing that concerns me, and I know people hate it when I bring it up, his exit velo was not very good last year for a guy that put up the numbers that he did. And now Scott Boras, I saw his argument was, well, hey, he cut down on strikeouts, and that's the reason for it. Okay, but I get that to a certain extent, but we've seen it. When you hit the ball hard, it usually means good things. And he didn't hit the ball very hard last year. So, no, I would not give him $200 million. He was interesting because early in his career, he was a guy that struck out a lot, but also walked a ton Yeah, and hit the ball really hard. This past season, he didn't strike out a lot, also didn't walk a lot. And he didn't hit the ball as hard. So it was like a total transformation in who he is as a player. I frankly prefer the first version. Like he didn't strike out among the league leaders. I mean, he was striking out like a hundred to 150 times a year, which is a, a decent amount. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a ton. This isn't like a guy that was striking out 200 to 300 times over the course of the season. And he was walking a lot. He was walking like 10% of his at bats previous or played appearances previous year. So I, I like that version of Cody Bellinger better than last year's version. Even though this was a 300 hitter, the on-base percentage was only 350. Uh, so, yes, he had to have a really high batting average to be able to maintain a pretty good on-base percentage. If he's more of like a 260 hitter, that on-base percentage last year would have been similar to like a Dylan Carlson or Tommy Edmond. That's yeah. not something you want for a 
$200 million player. I would not be willing to give him this. I know that it is a terrible offseason for position players. This is crazy, man. $200 million for Cody Bellinger coming off of three seasons prior to last year where he was just flat out bad. He was the Dodgers version of Paul DeYoung, and they were like, yeah, get him out of here. We're done. We can't do this any longer. In a retool year for the Dodgers? Yeah, no. I would not do this if I'm the Cubs or the Toronto Blue Jays. The other big news, Alex, over the last couple of hours is that Amazon reportedly discussing the possibility of acquiring Diamond Sports. Now, if you're not familiar with them, Diamond Sports is the property that actually technically owns, quote unquote, Bally Sports. So in doing this, Amazon would eventually take over the rights to broadcast teams like the Braves, Brewers, Cardinals, Guardians, etc., Alex, what do you think about the possibility of Amazon acquiring Bally Sports? I I like it, and I'm sure a lot of Blues and Cardinals fans like the idea of it, too, because it's something, although obviously you have to pay a price for it, but a lot of people already have. Uh, And it's something to at least keep the localized television brands available and alive to people, because I know that's been the biggest concern of what's going to happen. Uh, T-Bone and I were talking about in the office, though. I I just don't know how long it lasts. Like, it makes sense as, as an investor, you say like let's see if we capitalize on this maybe we can get them for a cheaper price and we can get the best out of them and we're bringing in more money but i also wonder if you're doing this and finding out which ones are the most profitable and then after the first season you say okay well let's cut back on some of these and keep the the profitable ones it's a smart investment man absolutely if you're amazon like yeah you're probably going to end up losing money on this kind of a deal because local rights are not the investment that they once were but you're not using it to make money off of the rights. You're using it to get people to go to your other stuff, right? right? You're using Amazon to get them to go to prime. You're on prime video here, go to Amazon prime and do all of this other stuff with us. You're using it to get more information about people. You're using it to get more people to sign up for Amazon prime. So I think it's a pretty smart move by Amazon. They're going to lose money on this, but they're such a massive corporation that the money will be like, uh, Hey, we lost 50 bucks for you, me, or T-Bone. So oh, well, I, I think it'd be smart. 50 bucks is a lot right now, yeah. okay? be nice to have, but you can make it up. I thinking like a dollar. T-Bone? Bill, I could lose. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's great for fans, too, for Amazon to come in and buy this up and then figure out at least some, not just for fans because of you now know stability and what it might look like, like where it's going to be. But also, it helps these organizations too. Like the Cardinals, if this yep. gets purchased, there no longer is the oh, what are we gonna do after 2024? We have to figure out what our TV plan is. Which then also, by the way, now we're not getting our rights payment. Now we don't know what the payroll situation looks like. If this can get resolved, and you whether Amazon comes in and buys this, and they take on all these rights, that's great for baseball as a whole. Just because a the fans know where it's going to be long term, and b teams know what the payroll now can look like long term because they're still going to be getting their rights fees yeah i i like it i i hope that this is the route that it ends up going it will suck for some fans that you have to pay for a streaming service that is the downside it would be similar to apple in that regard where you've got to have the entry fee in order to acquire what you were doing you were already paying that though you just didn't know it by paying for whatever it was for direct tv or whatever your your cable provider was it was like seven bucks or something whatever it was it was a ton of money to be able to have all of the the sports services anyway so uh you can get rid of those now you just have it on Woo-hoo. apple or amazon all right final thing here as we go through our mlb off season round up <laughs> <laughs> 
Lord Escariel signed a three-year, $42 million deal to sign with the Diamondbacks. Good deal, I think, by the Diamondbacks. I would much rather have this deal for them than Cody Bellinger on a $200 million deal if I'm the Blue Jays or the Chicago Cubs. Alex, I love what Arizona has done. They bring in Eduardo Rodriguez this offseason to stabilize that pitching staff even more. They bring back Lourdes Gurriel. I think they're going to be a good team once again in 2024. Yeah, I do too. And I think they they didn't waste any of their assets via trade so they could keep it in-house and then become the big movers or the big players at the trade deadline. And frankly, that's what a lot of these teams do well. You've got a good roster in place. You know your one-two punch. Your offense is there for you. You solidified the rotation. Now you've got all of your assets going into the trade deadline this season and you could say, all right, our weakest spot we can upgrade and be be a World Series contender once again. Yeah, I I like what they've done. I'm not sure how much they've truly upgraded, though. Like, I still feel like they're like... just Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, and, and like... How many wins more is he to them? Well, he was their third best pitcher last season. I guess that's fair. I do like their rotation a lot. I I I think that was a pretty big hole for them. They've got Zach Allen, uh, Merrill Kelly, Fott, who was great in the postseason last year. And now you add in Eduardo Rodriguez. Man, that's a really good one through four. They went into last season opening Bumgarner was still going to be great for him. Yeah, look, I, I like the Rodriguez signing. I'm not sure they're much better than the 84-win team they were. I, I think they're like 87 wins right now. I still think they're missing a little bit of pump a pop, pop to their lineup, and they need some help in the bullpen as well. I I think they're building for an 87-win team, which, look, that will get them to yep. the playoffs. Because it helps that they're in the West, which is crazy to say, yeah. but the only team that's really competing for anything meaningful out Dodgers. there right now is the Dodgers. Yeah, and the NL as a whole is just kind of weak right now. So I, I like what they've done. I don't know if they've significantly improved, I think they're slightly better, and I think slightly better is good enough to get them to the playoffs. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was our latest edition of the Major League Baseball offseason. Roundup! Coming up next, the transfer portal has added a new element to college football. I think it's good for the sport. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. NIL and transfer portal are kind of counterbalances in a way. You can't have roster continuity without transfer portal being there. Because mm-hmm. if transfer portal wasn't there, you'd be paying all these recruits all this money and saying, roster, don't worry about it. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> but now roster can leave. Right. So you got to take care of roster. We actually, for the first time, are starting toward an efficient marketplace that could lead to parity. That's the irony to it. That was Shannon Terry on the 24-7 podcast alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. I totally agree with what Shannon Terry had to say there. Alex, I think that the NIL and Transfer Portal together have combined to allow for more parity in college football. Now, this doesn't mean that places like Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, they cease to be the best programs in America. Uh, No, the opposite. Those teams are still going to be the best. They're still going to be the best programs because they still get most of the best players. The difference between now and what we were at five years ago is that they're not backed up now by five stars that have backups that were also five stars in high school. Because now what you're seeing is a lot of those kids that don't play year one at Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, etc., They're saying, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to sit here for the next three years behind two other dudes that are as good as me and not get any playing time, not get any exposure. 
I'm going to go to a place like Mizzou or Arkansas or Nebraska or Illinois. No, not Illinois. No, they're not getting there. And I'm going to go play. I'm going to go get opportunities to play for what's a good team, maybe not as good as Alabama or Georgia, but a good team nonetheless, and I'm going to go shine there. And, hey, if I'm great over the next few years, if I'm not quite good enough to be at that upper echelon and I'm a grad transfer – I could just come back to another program like Alabama or Georgia if I really want to spend my final days at like a top tier program in the country. That's where I think that it's really helped. And yesterday I thought was the greatest example of this. And I'm not even talking about Mizzou here with what they did over the last 24 hours. I don't know if you guys saw this. The number one quarterback in the country was committed to Georgia. Yesterday he's flipped his commitment to Nebraska. That's never happened before. Nebraska has never had a five-star commit at this level commits to them. In the history of rivals, that's 23 years of recruiting. Nebraska, which at some point in that time was a top-level program, has never gotten a kid as good as this one that they got to commit to them yesterday. Why did this happen? Money, money, money. Nebraska decided to get all of its NIL support behind one player that they believe is going to be the face of their program. Dylan Riola is his name. He's a five-star. He's the number one quarterback in the country. They say, you know what? Screw going out there and getting a transfer portal kid. We're going to go get the best quarterback available, and he's going to develop here at Nebraska on our timeline. That didn't happen five years ago because Nebraska couldn't legally offer him that kind of money. And so that kid just ends up going to Georgia, sitting there behind their starting quarterback for the next couple of seasons. Carson Beck announced yesterday that he's coming back as well. This is what's good, in my opinion, about NIL, about the transfer portal. You're starting to see the talent spread out amongst these teams. You're still going to have the best programs that are the best. But I think these other teams are starting to close the gap in a way that we've seen kind of happen in college basketball with a one and done. I think something similar is happening right now in college football. I think just as a general fan of college football and seeing all of the names and seeing the excitement, I mean, it feels like, and it is essentially pro sports free agency, because as soon as you hit that transfer portal season, you start looking at all the names that are available and then you're like, Ooh, who's he going to go with? Who's he going to sign with? It's the same excitement you get with any, whatever your favorite team is the off season that comes with it. You were talking about that that five-star, and it got me thinking, Jalen Hurts, and I know there were guys before him, but Jalen Hurts was kind of the trendsetter with this, right? Yep. Because when Jalen Hurts left Alabama and decided to go to, what was it, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. that was the moment that everyone else was like, damn, if this kid can go do that and go from a backup quarterback or losing his job to being the starter with Oklahoma, making them relevant, and then getting drafted in Oklahoma the NFL. Oklahoma is the poster child of this, honestly, yeah. because you, I mean, Lincoln Riley, you could say, is the poster child of it, because he did it first with Baker Mayfield, and then he did it with Jalen Hurts, and then he did it with Kyler Murray as well so we've we've seen them do it with multiple players there and then he goes out to usc and it's it's a kid that he recruited from high school but caleb williams follows him to usc as well so the transfer portal was a huge boost for him there well sorry t-bone but i mean let's be honest there's two things that go into this who's giving me the most money and where do i have my best shot at getting an opportunity to go to the nfl draft and jalen hurts the trendsetter with that one and now you're seeing a more and more five-star quarterback you're getting offensive linemen going to mizzou All of these guys are like, where's my best chance to show to everybody that I could play in the NFL, and that's where I'm going to make my next spot my home. And and these guys that are kind of like fringe NFL players, and really the quarterback position is the one that I want to hone in on. Like a Riley Leonard who just transferred from Duke to, where did he go, Notre Notre Dame. That Riley Leonard could potentially be an NFL quarterback, but let's be honest, there's a chance he can end up being more of like a second, third-round pick that never really plays. 
But you know what? Because of NIL and because of the transfer portal, he can see where he's like, okay, I've got like one year of eligibility left. You know what? I can get a decent paycheck from Duke, but my head coach just just left for a job at A&M. I want to go see if there's a bigger bigger dollar figure yep. elsewhere. And not only elsewhere, but a team that can compete for a college football playoff. And I think that's good for also the kids that do stick around for a while. It's good for everyone. It's good for fans. It's good for college football. It's good for uh, Riley Leonard, who's going out there and playing at a, a level where he can continue to develop his game because it was clear this year. He's not ready for the NFL. He's not ready to go to the league and be a starter. And he gets paid. And he it's gets compensated for, for his time. And it's tough for a program like Duke to continue to provide the weapons around him to help him grow as well. And that's the other good thing, too, is now that he can go to Notre Dame, you know they're going to have the money available to go out and they're going to be able to recruit as well and put a good offense around him because you're right. I mean, he basically had hit his ceiling at Duke, and I think this is what the Duke head coach also realized, too, is we've reached our ceiling. It's time to go elsewhere. Good luck to Duke. See what they can do in the next three, four years under the next head coach. Just look at some of the teams in in the college football playoff or close to the college football playoff this year. Washington's quarterback was a transfer. Texas's quarterback was a transfer. Uh, you keep going down through these. Oregon Ohio was. State's quarterback just transferred. They're probably going to have a transfer quarterback next year. Bo Nix, transfer. Uh, you end up seeing a lot of these teams. Ole Miss quarterback, transfer. Oklahoma's quarterback, transfer. LSU's quarterback, transfer. And Notre Dame. I just went through like 70% of the top 15s in America this year. And 70% of them have a transfer quarterback right now. You look at Mizzou. Look at the way that they assembled that defense. It's mostly transfers. That ended up helping them out. You look at Theo Weiss, who opened up the offense this year. Transfer. Like, I, I know that at first people pushed back so much against it because it was like, man, is this going to become like NFL free agency? And the answer is yes, it is. It is going to become year to year where all these guys, you have to re-recruit your team every single season. And that sucks if you're a head coach. But guess what? You're compensated 5 to $10 million per year because it's a headache to have your job. You're paid handsomely to be the head coach of that organization. And you have to make sure that all of your kids are committed to your program. The other thing, it holds you as a coach accountable. If you suck to work with day-to-day, guess what? A bunch of your kids are going to leave because they've got other opportunities to go elsewhere, and they're free to do it for the first time with no restrictions upon their transfers, and they can go make money elsewhere as well. So I think this has been good for the sport. You add in the 12-team playoff that's going to take place next year, and now you have a lot of kids that are like, you know what? I don't have to go to Alabama. I don't have to go to Ohio State. I don't have to go to Georgia to be able to play for a, a college football playoff opportunity. I can go do that at, you know, Ole Miss or Arizona or Missouri or NC State. A lot of kids, I think, will start staying home more Illinois. often because of this. So I, I think it's been great for college football, and I think it's just going to continue to spread out the wealth of the best players in the country going to other places other than just the four to five schools that typically get them. And even if they do end up there, similar to what we just saw with Caden Green, who ended up at Oklahoma, they can transfer back if they decide that there's a better opportunity for them elsewhere. Guys, Eli Drinkwitz is one of five coaches that has been named a finalist for coach of the year this year in college football. The other four are DeBoer Ellington, Fish at Arizona, Norvell at Florida State, and Saban at Alabama. Who would get your vote this year out of those five, Alex, for college football's national coach of the year in 2023? I mean, mine would be Drink, and I'm not saying this as a Mizzou fan, I'm saying this just as a general view of college football from last season to this season. I mean, to take your team from being, what were they a game above 500 to a team that was pushing for a college football playoff spot for six teams. I mean, I, 
I, I can understand what Nick Saban did. And frankly, Washington was a really good team last year. But like looking from year to year, that was a massive turnaround for Eli Drinkwood. So I would say he deserves it. I, I think I would lean towards, I think Saban would be my guy. Um, Saban or Norvell. I, I think Norvell should get a lot of credit for going 13-0, and especially because they lost their quarterback. And I know that the committee didn't look at it, and I think a lot of fans looked at it and said, oh, you, know, you beat Florida and you beat Louisville in the championship game. Still impressive, in my opinion, to finish 13-0 and without Jordan Travis at the QB position. Too. Yeah, but they had Travis in the game, but I yeah, see. you're right. Um, Saban, though, like that team, look, there was a lot of question marks around them after that South Florida game mm-hmm. where – he made the weird decision to bench Milrow, which maybe he shouldn't win because of this. But he benched Milrow, went to his two other backups, and nearly lost on the road to South Florida. Ever since then, though, they became a playoff caliber team. And maybe that was the great coaching moment that woke up Jalen Milrow and said, you've got to start playing better, otherwise we cannot get to the level we need to be at to get in the playoff. Because ever since that South Florida game, they were a buzzsaw and ran through everybody that they faced and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think it's Nick Saban. This is the best coaching job I've ever seen from him. That team's not that good, man. And, and That's not fair. That team's not that talented. This is not the same level of Alabama offense or defense as we've seen in previous years. When Alabama's made it to the college football playoff in previous seasons, it's like, holy crap, dude. You look up and down the lineup. And there are NFL players everywhere. They've got some NFL guys, don't get me wrong, this year. But he coached this team up. And with scheme, with determination, with grit, they found a way to make it through what was not an easy schedule either. They deserve a ton of credit. And I think he's the college football's national coach of the year this year. I would have had him as my SEC coach of the year as well. And I say that as obviously a a Mizzou honk. I I love what Eli Drinkwitz did this year. And this is no shot against him whatsoever. He's more than deserving of being on this list. And he would be number two for me, honestly. But what Nick Saban did this year was nothing short of spectacular. To have that team in the college football playoff, I didn't see that one coming at all. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including... A surprising comment coming off of last night's game from Jalen Hurts, but maybe it shouldn't be surprising given what we've seen from them this year. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Tough night last night for the Philadelphia Eagles. They struggle in their game against the Seattle Seahawks. End up losing that one. And now they are going to fight for their lives to try to maintain uh, a lead in the NFC East. They could let that go last night. Cowboys now going to be potentially leading that division. And Alex, after the game, Jalen Hurts was asked, hey, what's going on with the Eagles right now? Here's what he had to say. I've been talking about execution all year, been on the same page, everyone been on the same page, and we didn't execute. I don't think we were, we're all were uh, committed enough, you know, just, just got to turn it around. You know, it's a challenge that we have to embrace and just continue to see it through. What do you mean by that, about being committed enough? Commitment. If I had a dictionary on me now, um, excuse me, I don't know how else to say 
That was his text going off by the PR saying, I don't, don't, don't say that anymore. Back this up. A definition of commitment, if you guys are curious, a state of quality or being dedicated to a cause. So Sounds basically, like the Blues, by the way. I, so I was going to say, so basically he's saying what Braden Shen said after the Blackhawks game to where we've got certain guys that are wanting to play and other guys that are not willing to play. Here's my question to you guys and to our listeners. What's the area that you're most concerned about with Philadelphia? Oh, uh, like defensively, they're fine. They're so, not what they were last year. I think my bigger concern is Jalen Hurts, guys. So his decision making last night was off. I, I think the offense in general has looked off so far this year. And that's a feel thing more than it is anything else. Because the numbers haven't been terrible. It's not as if they're not putting up any kind of numbers offensively. Like Jalen Hurts has thrown for, you know, 250 yards in most of his yeah, games but, so far this Jalen year. Jalen Hurts feels like he's got one tool in every game. And it's it's the run game and it's the the, the, the butt shove. Like other than that... I feel like Jalen Hurts is... I mean, to start out the year, he he and A.J. Brown were spectacular. Yeah, to start out the year. But, but in the last, like, five weeks, he has been mediocre at best. You're totally correct, Alex. And I, I think there's something to losing their offensive coordinator. I think in-game, they don't have the same feel about the right play calls at the right time. And I think this is something that's taken place for the Bills. I think some of the analytics numbers were great for the Bills earlier this year. But some of that is because, like, came in meaningless times during the game right and then in the biggest moments they do something stupid or their play calling is dumb last night why are you calling a deep shot when they did on that final possession it made no sense you're down by three all you got to do in that spot you got to make sure you have the opportunity to kick the field goal you got a good kicker you can go down and you, you can go just kick the field goal but you're done right instead they go for the deep shot go for the kill and they lose the football game as a result I think that's the kind of thing that's just missing right now for them. It's coaching, it's execution, it's all of these different things. Something is just a little off with them, offensively specifically, because they've got so much talent on that side of the ball. Their defense just isn't that overly talented in the middle of the field. You look at their linebackers and their safeties, they're bad. I would expect them to be bad in that regard. They should be better offensively, though. They have too much talent to be this bad. That's the thing for me is offensively it just looks clunky. And, and I don't, I can't really explain it. I think you're right. Probably part of that is play calling. I think to some extent it has been Jalen Hurts' decision making. Their offense is going to have to be the reason that they get to the Super Bowl. If they're going to get past San Francisco or if they're going to get to the NFC Championship game, the offense is going to have to be the reason why. Because defensively, you're right. They're just not talented enough. I mean, they had to flip defensive coordinators yeah. because they hope that that can fix their issues. And I don't think it can. I They remind me, and I've said this a lot, they remind me of the Vikings of last year, man. They're in every game. They're a lot of one-score games. They're pretty good in them for the most part until they lost this last one. I, I think they're one and done. I, I think they're going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. There are some really compelling division races down the stretch. That's one of them, the NFC East. Both teams at 10-4. and four. Cowboys technically hold the tiebreaker right now. But that's not the only one. The AFC East still very much up for grabs. The AFC South very much up for grabs. The NFC South, the two teams at the top are tied at 7-7 seven and seven between the Bucks and the Saints. Guys, which divisional race do you find to be the most intriguing in the next few weeks? I mean... The obvious answer is the NFC East, but I'll go to the other one, too. I think the AFC East is intriguing. I, I really do. I don't believe the Dolphins hold on to that top spot. I, wow. I think the Dolphins got a, lose out. I, I think they got a tough schedule, and that last game is going to be probably the difference maker. Not probably. Will be the difference maker. And I think the Bills, at least currently, have proven to be the better team than Miami. Now, I could be proven wrong when Tyree Kill comes back, and maybe they look like the juggernaut that we believe they are. 
but I think Buffalo's been a better team in the last three weeks. Bills' next two games, Chargers and the Patriots. They should win those two. They finish out the season, as you said, Alex, against the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins' next two games, home against Dallas, desperate Dallas team, on the road against Baltimore, a team that will be fighting potentially at that that time for the number one seed. So those teams will be highly motivated. They have their starting quarterbacks. Uh, Very different schedules down the stretch. That's the one that I was going to say. I thought you would take the NFC East. I agree. AFC East for me is number one. T-Bone, what would you have? I say AFC East. The NFC East one to me... I don't know. For I think reason, we all know the better team in that I, division. I don't think it's not as I don't think it's as compelling now because you're seeing the Eagles struggle. I think the the reason the AFC East is so compelling is one, the Dolphins have the, the record that has them in first place right now at ten and four, but they haven't beat anybody yeah. good. Like when they play good teams, they're the paper dolphin that's out there in the sea, and once they hit the water, they just dissipate. Uh, when Is there I, such thing as a paper dolphin? Eh, I wanted to go paper tiger, but it felt right that okay. their name's an just animal. Sure. Um, I, and and Buffalo is like the hottest team in the NFL right yeah. now. They're the super trendy pick to win their division, get into the playoffs, go on a deep run into the playoffs if they sneak in. That's why the AFC East is so compelling. I look at the NFC East, and I just went, okay, Dallas got the crap kicked out of them by Buffalo, and the Eagles aren't flying anymore. So I I don't find that race as compelling anymore, and all the other ones are just the AFC South, blah. NFC South, fire every one of those coaches. I, I think the AFC is easily the best one. I'll give them this. The Dolphins play, what, two of their last three at home, and they've been a significantly better home team than an away team. So Buffalo's going to have to do something that they've struggled with all season and went on the road to win In it the out. the last segment, we talked about the college football uh, finalist for coach of the year. I did want to ask you guys, if you had to vote today, who would win your NFL coach of the year over on FanDuel as of today? Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryans, and Shane Steichen are all tied at three to one as the most likely uh, coach to win coach of the year. Then after that, it's Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan at eight to one and Kyle Stefanski at 12 to one. Who would you be wow. voting for as of today as your coach? They didn't even Alex? say the one that I would be voting for. Mine would be Harbaugh. Hmm. I mean, I, 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 for one thought the the Baltimore Ravens were trash at the beginning of the season and they had no offense to give. And then all of a sudden they turned into this juggernaut of a team. Uh, Harbaugh would be one of them. I like the D'Amico Ryan's one. I think a lot of his though is going to ride on if you can be in the playoffs or not. The other one too would be Mike McCarthy. I, I mean, I understand that, you know, it, it it's to me it's just been a really good season for Mike McCarthy considering you stunk last year and then now all of a sudden you're great again and he took over those offensive play calling duties those would be the two I'd come up with I like the D'Amico Ryan's one because I think if they get into the playoffs I think he should be the coach here because they've missed a couple games without Stroud now they're missing one of their top wide receivers uh in Tank Dell now that he's done for the season I think he would be deserving of it if they get to the playoffs honestly I'd hear the argument for it even if they don't and they finish above 500 I I don't know if they'll get the votes because of the issues they have with their starting quarterback. Kevin Stefanski's an interesting one. They're playing really well without Deshaun Watson. Joe Flacco looks like he's in his prime again. I think they're playing great. they got a great defense as well. By prime, you mean four interceptions in a game, right? That's the yeah. thing that's so Letting funny it, about this Joe Flacco. Yeah. <laughs> Let it fly, baby. He, he was not good this he week, like but Zach he made Wilson. the plays when they needed to, and that's all that matters, and they won, so you're going to give him the credit. Uh, I'm going to zig where everybody else is zagging. Why are we talking about Zach Taylor? Why doesn't he deserve See, credit as the NFL's there, coach of the year? There are a lot of coaches that like the... the Don't I you look hate at their Zach resume. Taylor? I do, I, I but dude, at, at some point, I got to give him credit. He's winning with See, Jake I, Browning I'm as a starting quarterback. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit yeah, because... he sucked at the beginning of the they season. They really struggled to get it going with Joe Burrow. Yeah, because he was hurt. 
Well, whose fault is that? Zach Taylor's for playing him. Yeah. No, Joe Burrow was hurt to begin the year. We mm. all knew it. And well, obviously the coach to, didn't. He wanted to play, and so you got to put him out there. It's your starting quarterback. He's your franchise, so whatever. But if you're going to make the playoffs at like 11-6 and six with Jake Browning leading the charge, yeah, man, I got to give schedule. you a ton of credit. They beat the Jags. They beat Indy. They beat Minnesota, three teams that are at least contending in their respective conferences uh, to week. be able to make the postseason. They beat Buffalo. They beat San Francisco earlier this year. I don't know, man. That's a guy to me that's screaming coach of the year in the NFL this season where there's a lot of good candidates. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't even like Zach Taylor. I don't. You wanted him fired. Yeah, I did prior to the last couple of seasons. But man, he's t- the resume speaks for itself. He's been outstanding. And the Bengals are once again going to be one of the teams also, that nobody wants to play in the postseason. If this continues with Jake Brown sleeper pick should be Brandon Staley for believing his defense was better than what people thought and then allowing 63 points well, in a game. By the way, if they continue doing this without Jamar Chase, because he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks, it sounds like with a separated shoulder. Yeah, at that point, you can go ahead and write it. in. so that dude's winning the coach. of the If year. we're going to throw Taylor's name in here because he's got his backup quarterback. You know who I've been really impressed with lately, and he's had Shane to change Steichen? quarterbacks? No, but he's been impressive, too. I was going to go in the NFC was Kevin O'Connell with Minnesota. Okay, uh, they've yeah. been they've been really impressive. I, I I know Mullins, like, dude, I don't know what the hell he's dude, doing that was rough. on Saturday. But he's been through three quarterbacks now. Four, actually. Cousins to start the year. And, and then they got off to a bit of a slow start. Then they had, I don't remember who the backup was. Got Josh Dobbs. He looked good for a while. Knew when to pull the plug on the Dobbs experience. Moved to Mullins, who looked capable. Now, he did make a couple of just dumb decisions, but he looked capable, and they're sitting in a playoff spot right now. I would have given up on this team, and somehow they're there. So I think if we're going to talk about Zach Taylor. And they didn't have Justin Jefferson for most of the year. Yeah, yeah, totally forgot about that. Their best player. And their defense, like, he deserves credit. I I sometimes give a little bit of credit for making the right decisions when it comes to your coaching staff. They made a great hire in Brian Flores. Yeah. Brian Flores has made that defense respectable because that dude is completely unafraid to make ballsy choices with what he's going to go for. That d- nobody in the NFL drops eight in coverage more often than Brian Flores, and nobody in that in the NFL blitzes more often than Brian Flores. Like that dude is either YOLO bringing everybody or bringing nobody, and you don't know when it's coming or what it's going to look like. He changes the picture pre-post snap. He's a great defensive coordinator. I think Brian Flores is going to be a head coach again in the NFL next year somewhere. He deserves credit for getting that guy as his defensive coordinator heading into 2023. Coming up next, we're in the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. T-Bone on BK. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. By the way, there's still time to get your 101 ESPN merch to support Operation Food Search this December. We have partnered with, with STL Shirt Co. to offer a 101 ESPN online merch store for this month only. We're offering t-shirts, hoodies, hats, so much more. You can check it all out at 101ESPN.com. It's all power by McBride Holmes. Alex, I want to finish the show today by talking a little bit about what the Cardinals are doing, where they're at right now, where they're where they're headed. 
Ken Rosenthal has been pushing this idea that Framber Valdez might become available. Now, he always couches it with saying, hey, this is more speculation than it is reporting. Like, he doesn't know that Framber Valdez has been actively involved in trade negotiations yet, but based on where they're at payroll-wise, based on what they need and how they can get it, he thinks that Framber Valdez might become somebody that is available. I said yesterday with T-Bone, that would be my number one trade target for the Cardinals, even over Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, etc. He's got two years remaining of club control. He has proven it in big games. He's an innings eater. He's got everything that I would look for from the Cardinals. Alex, you when we mentioned this off-air earlier, you're like, wait, Framber Valdez is available? What are your thoughts on the potential of trying to trade for Valdez if he becomes available? Go get him. Go get him. This... I mean, I, I think I would still put Logan Gilbert ahead of Valdez, mostly because of the control and the, the age that he's at. But if you're telling me I get two years of Framer Valdez for this team, yeah, absolutely. This is the best available that you could realistically acquire. Now, are you having to give up Nolan Gorman to get him? That's the part that I might be like, ah, man, two years versus what you got with Nolan Gorman. That's why Logan Gilbert's the most intriguing for me of trading Gorman. But if he's really available... This brings your team from, yeah, you could probably win the NL Central to World Series potential contender because now you've got a one-two punch that is very dangerous. You have depth in your rotation. My hope is that you're going to go out there and still upgrade your bullpen. And on top of all of that, the offense is realistically going to remain the same. This would be my tied for first top target with Logan Gilbert. This is a move that doesn't have you just playing for Central Division. This is playing for the Central and in October because you get a one-two punch. Depending on what it costs, I'm definitely in on Framer Valdez. He's got great stuff, and he's what they love as a left-handed pitcher. He definitely falls into the slot that you're looking for, number one that slides in ahead of Sonny Gray. If he's available, man, I'd be making the phone calls, and I'd try to make it work without Gorman. If you had to put him in there and that's the backbreaker, then, yeah, I would still do it. And I don't know that that would be the type of thing that they want. Like, I, I don't know what the Astros are going to be looking for in this situation. They've got position players. I think you might have a situation where they're looking for younger pitching that they're going to send in return. Like Tink Kintz might oh, be the type of guy that they want in you. return for this. Maybe they want to add Ryan Helsley because they need a closer at the back end of their bullpen. You could put together a package that would be interesting that might not even include your position players that you're trying to send out. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We will talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane with Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.